episode 275, and I think we should do it. Oh, Slicky. Oh, Mitchie. Slicky. <laughs> what are you doing on the free show? You're not allowed on the free show. I'm your Mitch Unfiltered. You're not allowed it. on the free show. This is the show that you never listen to, so you don't have to worry about messing up because you'll never listen to the show. You if never I didn't have enough courage to listen to the show. How much courage does it take and to what be you, on the show? To and what did you do with Hotshot Scott? <laughs> it's post Super Bowl. It's post Ryan Grubb. <laughs> it is. What'd you no, do with Hotshot Hot Scott? Look, What'd you do with the it? The Groundhog said early spring, so I was just gonna come on and tell you, Hotshot Scott, he got a tan this week uh, with all the great sunshine in yeah, the Pacific yeah, Northwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny yeah. because Hotshot Scott has a work trip. Ooh. To Birmingham, Alabama. He's actually going to miss the birthplace of all great work trips. I don't know about that. Have you ever been <laughs> Birmingham? Have you, have you ever no. been to? I've been to Birmingham, no. Alabama. I played I've not golf. been anywhere like in the middle. I've been on the very. I'm not on the edges. I've been on the. Well, Alabama is not in the middle. It's well, it's east, east, it's southeast, <laughs> but like, but it's still in the. It's not the coast. So I'm saying I've been on the coast. So Hotshot Scott tells me a few weeks ago I've got a work trip to Birmingham, Alabama on Sunday, February the 11th. I'm not going to be able to do that show. And he's raving about what kind of plane ticket he got. He Ooh. got a great seat, whatever, whatever. He can't can't figure out why he got such great treatment by the airlines. <laughs> well, he's flying out during the Super Bowl. He was flying during the Super Bowl. He was probably the only man on the plane to Birmingham, Alabama. He had the whole They probably about. need him in the, in the cockpit. There's nobody to fly the plane. The pilot's no. down in the bar watching the game. So, and I'll also have you know that as he was walking out of the room a week ago for episode 274, which you didn't have the courage to listen to, so you don't know about my blue plate Gabby Bell proposition mm. special for the Super Bowl. We'll get there in a second. But as he's walking out, he tells me, you know, Piper's softball team is doing one of those squares, those Super oh, yeah. Bowl squares contests mm -hmm. to raise money for travel and all the, the equipment and everything. Do you want to be a part of it? I said, sure. Remind me during the week and I'll send you some money and get some squares. He, he reminds me during the week. I sent him the money to get some squares and I win two quarters. Stop. I did. I had zero three. Zero the three. Must have been zero three. Zero yeah. three. And I won the second and third quarters of the play. Now I'm feeling bad. I'm going to be taking money away from the softball team. So I'm feeling. No, <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be, that's what it's for. Yeah. That's what, I'm sure it's like should, a 50 50 proposition. Should I tell him to keep the money, put it towards the softball team? It's 400 bucks. Oh, that's nice. No, you got to take the, the Why did you play? You play to win, Mitchie. You play to win. I play to support Piper's softball. I know. Yeah. But, but you know, if you can come out on the other end of it, wow. uh, you know, all the better. Uh, these square contests, though, now, sometimes I've seen where they fall into controversy with games like what happened tonight because of the overtime. And oh. like the language of it, is it at the yeah. end of the fourth the fourth quarter what the score is? You know, I don't. Or is it the uh, the final score? I don't know the answer because I wasn't really paying attention because my right. numbers were out of whack. Come the yeah. end of the all, I, all I was doing is spending my four hundred dollars right. <laughs> from the second. The, but let me tell you, so I won the two square. Now you told me before we before we started the show. 
Mm-hmm. You told me that you didn't make it down to the Emerald Queen Casino to make I your didn't bets. didn't get down So there. you didn't have any wagers on the Super Bowl, which is shocking to me. I know. Shocking. I know. I was excited shocking. to do it, and it just it never came. I right. just Yesterday, I got swamped. I got okay, swamped on fine. Saturday. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. So, well, it's not fine. I would have won money. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. By the time you got down there, you might have yeah. shifted. You might have bet some props. Well, let me tell you what I did. I, I bet the squares. I was a big winner on the squares. Mm, I bet nice. the Chiefs. On the money line at plus 110, and I won significant money on the uh, money line on the Chiefs like everybody else did. But then was my blue plate special, the one that I cared most about, although I didn't Mm -hmm. put as much money on it, but I cared most about it because I had had recommended to all of the faithful 39 and a half, you know, the Mitch Unfiltered audience – to take over Brock Purdy's yards. And I gave this whole explanation on the show that you didn't have the courage to listen to last so week. Episode I'm gutless. Two, I'm gutless. 274. I gave everybody the, the research, which was what he had done in the last three or four games as a runner, what the Chiefs defense had allowed to opposing teams quarterbacks in running the last like five or six, even Jake Browning. Everybody's quarterback got a little bit of yards against the mm-hmm. on scrambles. This is the ultimate. You've heard us say that our dear friend, Bino Cook, used to come on the KJR morning show at 8 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. And probably once every three weeks, he would say about the Vegas bookies, there's a reason why they live in big houses and they send their kids to Ivy League schools. Yes. This is a perfect example. (laughs) Along, by the way, with the total, the over-under, which I think was 46 and a half, and it landed Mm -hmm. right smack on 47, right? It's wild. It's so insane. So the number on Brock Purdy's rushing yards, you know this, when I made the recommendation last week was 12 and a half. Yeah. (laughs) And I said go over 12 and a half. And then as the week progressed, it moved here and it moved there. The odds moved here and it moved there. So here's Brock Purdy on Super Bowl Sunday. He's at 13 yards. He only scrambled like twice. He got nine one gain and he got four on the other. And he's got 13 yards. He got 13 Mm -hmm. yards. And we all know by now that sacks don't hurt him on the rushing yards. Not like college does. But a kneel down does. So I've got everybody... Everybody and their brother tweeting me all week last week. Mitch, don't forget. I even had the manager of a local sports book. I won't tell you who he was. A manager of a local sports book wrote me an email and said, I just want you to remind remind you and your audience, because I heard your big thing on the 12 and a half. Don't forget that kneel downs at the end of games do count against the rushing yards. And of course, I discounted it because... What are the chances that he's going to be either (laughs) that a the Niners are going to be in a position to kneel down? I'm figuring the Chiefs are going to win. So I don't think the Niners are going to be in a position to kneel down. Mm -hmm. And B, what are the chances it's going to be like? That's only a minus one. So what are the chances it's going to be right on the right on the mark? Slicky. He's got 13 yards (laughs) with three seconds to go. The Chiefs are kicking off after they score the tying. And I'm saying to everybody in my house. Squib it! <laughs> squib it! Please don't kick it out of the end zone. Just squib it. I got 13. Mm-hmm. I'm at 12 and a half. Some people are at 11 and a half. Some people are at 13 and a half. I'm at 12 and a half. Squib it! Mm-hmm. The kicker kicks it out of the end zone. So there's three seconds left in regulation. And what does Purdy do? 
He takes, takes a, a knee. fucking knee <laughs> for a negative one. He screwed you is what he did. For a negative one on the knee to go from 13 to 12, to 12. now. Come on. Yes. How do they know? Every Monday, Scott oh. Van Pelt does bad beats. Oh, this my this, God. This has been going on forever. Oh. Forever, Mitchie. I don't feel as bad for you, but all the people that took your advice. That's what I'm mad about. All the people about. who were, who were yes. brave enough, who had enough courage to listen, not only listen to the episode, uh, but then and by, take and And by the way, advice. he had the 13 yards in like the second quarter. Mm -hmm. So all he needed is one more scramble. One, one more, more pin, Rodney. One, one more scramble for two yards. That's all he needed. And he never ran out of there. <sighs> Are you relieved? Absolutely. I mean, it was nail-biting time, that whole fourth quarter and overtime. Why Why do we care so much that our arch rival not win the world championship? Oh, that, the last thing I want. First of all, you know, I don't know if you know this. There are a lot of Niners fans around. Like, they're around. They're here. Oh. So, and they make themselves heard, whether yeah. they really should be or not. So, no, it... Any chance that they have at happiness, any chance that they have to hold anything over. I mean, and plus I'm petty. You know I'm petty. I mean, but, you remember the whole Oregon-Washington thing. We're all petty. I threw a party. I basically threw a party that Michigan beat Washington. Like, it's, I am petty. <laughs> so, in no way, no circumstance did I, did I want the 49ers to win. Okay, but let me ask you what I asked Danny O'Neill on the Peace Show last week, which you probably didn't have enough courage to listen to. He also has the ability to be petty from time to time oh. with, with these kinds of that's what, the P, that's the P for the P, petty. That's what the P stands for. <laughs> Piss sand and petty on the P and puffery. <laughs> Does it help or hurt the Seahawks chances next year if the 49ers win the Super Bowl? If it's going to do anything, you've got to think it probably helps a little. Helps the Seahawks chances. Yeah, a little. If 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 it's going to help or hurt, it right. would you would lean help because right, right. the pressure's off. You take a breath. Yeah. Now maybe you do some things to kind of reset your organization where now with the loss, you're like, okay, we're still ramped up and go for it mode and we're right there and we just need the one or two thing to push us over the edge. So if it's going to do something, it hurts it a little bit for the Seahawks. But I, I we can't think that way, right? I would say, and what I said to Danny is if they're going to win it, if the 49ers are going to win it, we want Brock Purdy to throw for 400 yards and be the MVP, forcing San Francisco to have to give him a monster contract. Because mm -hmm. you know, we all lived it here in Seattle. <laughs> the day that they have to pony up for mm -hmm. him changes all the dynamics with the salary. You got to go about it a different way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. They lost, but they're going to have to do that anyway. I mean, he's going to command a huge, huge salary. I would think so. And if, you know, you're their agent, I'm sure there's some, I mean, you've got to make up a little bit for the fact of how underpaid he's going to be. He is right now. You got to factor that in a little bit too. So there's no premiums, any of that. I mean, like you said, we went through it with, with Russell Wilson um, back, what, 10 years ago. So it, it we, we've seen it all play out and we know exactly what's going to happen. Slicky, let me do the spiel. If you're new to Mitch Unfiltered, our show can be found on all major podcast platforms. We want you to subscribe. We want you to listen. We want you to rate and review us. It's very important if you enjoy Mitch Unfiltered. Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. One long form show per week. It's free with guests that's made available to everyone on Monday. The one that Slicky doesn't have the courage to listen to each and every Monday. And a handful of shorter shows throughout the week for what we call Mitch Unfiltered Patrons. 
the Peace Show with Danny O'Neill, shooting the shit with Slick, the Mariners, No Table, Doyle and Churchill. You can become a patron and get those shows for $5 a month. All you got to do is go to MitchUnfiltered.com. And as I always say, if the five bucks is truly a problem for you and you can't swing it, just write me Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and I'll make sure that you get the patron shows because it's not really about the money. It's about everybody enjoying it that wants to enjoy it. And if you also want to write me an email, any Uh-oh. other criticisms that you might have about oh, the show. No. no, this isn't a criticism <laughs> about the show, but where's the letters, letters, letters music when we, when we need it? Letters? Oh, we got letters. <laughs> we but I, I know right where it used to be. I know right where that button is. <laughs> you hit it a couple times, didn't you? Yeah, once or twice, yeah. Morning, Mitch. Happy Super Sunday, this guy writes. I wandered into the Little Creek Casino. Have you ever heard of the Little Creek Casino? Yeah. You ever been there? No, no, I don't venture that that far away from the homestead. I wandered into the Little Creek Casino yesterday to place my bets for the game, including, of course, your blue plate special from the last episode. Apparently, this guy had the courage Mm -hmm. to listen to the last episode. Takes a lot of balls. When I got to the Purdy Rush Yards bet, the kiosk kept rejecting my wager. (laughs) After a couple of failed attempts, I ended up going up to the counter where the casino staff informed me that everyone was, quote, hammering the over on that one today. <laughs> so they so they shut it down at the kiosks. I was still able to place it at the counter, but they, uh, but they said all bets for that one had to be placed in person, regardless of the amount, because of the amount of action they were getting on that particular prop bet. Just thought you'd get a kick out of that. You put the word out, and apparently the whole world listened might watch your back if it hits. Oh, ooh, the casinos ooh. might come looking for you. Thanks for the great shows. Good luck on your wagers for today. Sign Chad. Because of that kneel down, they're they're looking for you to pat you on the back. <laughs> maybe, hey, give me a, maybe give me a job for God's There you sake. go. Thanks, Mitchie. <laughs> so thanks. I apologize. Ooh. I apologize wow. to Chad. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They took it off the kiosk. They took it off the kiosk. You got to walk up. Of, yep. Now, I wonder if they were telling people that or it just it didn't go in the kiosk and then people just walked away thinking they couldn't make the wager. Yeah, it's a good question. Which was probably know. their strategy, right? So, you know, the kiosk says no, blinks red and you're like, oh, well, Chad, okay. you're saying Chad was persistent and he mm-hmm. went up and he said, what gives? I want to make this yeah. bet. And yeah. they were hoping that people would just walk away entirely. Uh, no wonder he's so courageous. Mm-hmm. He would listen to the show. Guess okay. on this episode 275, Kyle Baldwin. You ever heard of the name Kyle Baldwin? Kyle Baldwin. Yes. Maybe. He is the young man who was in the right place at the right time at Dino's Pub to (laughs) snap a picture on Friday of Ryan Grubb with Mike McDonald and John Schneider. He beat Schefter to the story. He Mm -hmm. beat Rappaport to the story and everyone else to the story. And he became a Twitter sensation with one blurry picture (laughs) of Ryan Grubb sitting at a table with those two men. Mitchie, this is 2024. We've got Galaxy 23s and iPhone 15s. Can we get like a halfway decent picture? Oh. <laughs> can, we, can we get something with a little clarity? I know the lighting's not great at Tino's, but can we get, I mean, just a little bit. I, I guess he was probably trying to snap it really it fast, is a, right? This is a great story. If you have the courage to listen to the show, <laughs> this is a great story. This guy, he first tweets, hey, everybody. Ryan Grubb is here at Dino's with John Schneider. He didn't even mm-hmm. recognize Mike McDonald. He didn't know who Mike McDonald was. He said he was so young looking, he didn't even realize it was Mike He's McDonald. here with his kid. 
So, every, so he writes this tweet and he's got like a couple hundred followers. Yeah. And it takes off like wildfire. The line that, hey, Ryan Grubb is here because everybody's wondering who's going to be the next offensive coordinator. Well, right. Ryan Grubb's here with John Schneider. So everybody starts tweeting at him. And, ah, you're a liar. Stop being a troll, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, show us. Mm-hmm. Take a picture and show us. Prove it. So he had to, mani- and I don't want to tell you the whole story. He's going to tell you the story. He had to go to the bathroom <laughs> and then come out of the bathroom in the most discreet way, somehow snap a picture, and that's why it's blurry. Yeah, just he had to grab it on the fly. On the fly. While zipping up his fly. Why zip- <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and he goes into graphic detail of just how hard it was for him to pee because he was so <laughs> because he was so nervous about taking Ooh. this picture. On the way out of the bathroom and nervous that it wouldn't come out. And then he'd have to go back to the bathroom. Oh, my and God. Sh- and Schneider and McDonald and Grubb would be like, why does this What's dude up with this guy? Why does he keep going to the bathroom? For God's sake. <laughs> what is he drinking? For goodness sake. Uh. So it's a very fun story. By the way, that snapshot over a million views. <laughs> I bet I on bet. Twitter. And that started the ball rolling on Friday. And that's, you know. And lo and behold, guess who the offensive coordinator is for your Seattle Seahawks? Ryan Grubb. Yeah. So he will be our first. That's Kyle Baldwin, KB. Kyle Baldwin will be our first guest to tell the story about how he became a Twitter phenomenon. Kevin Kelly, years and years ago, I don't know if you were working on the morning show back when nine-time Arkansas State champion football coach Kevin Kelly used to come on to tell us about the non-traditional ways he coaches a game Based on math, he goes for it on every fourth down. Or doesn't kick ever. Never kicks, never Onside punch. kicks. Onside kicks after every I touchdown. I remember. He was featured in Sports Illustrated. He was featured in ESPN. He was featured on HBO Real Sports. And I haven't talked to him in about 10 years. So I got Kevin Kelly back on the show, episode nice. 275, to talk about where all these NFL coaches are going wrong with their decision making. Well, they're biting kneecaps. He talks about that one in particular. That guy I bet he does. I bet he does. Yes, he does. (laughs) And then the third guest segment is the Mariners note table this week. Pitchers and catchers report. The Mariners Mm. are better than they were last year, said Jason Stark on this show last week. And that's exactly what Doyle and Churchill are going to say. They are definitely better this year than they were last year at this time. You'll hear it from the Mariners note table on this episode 275. Should I be so courageous? Hey, Slicky, let's officially begin episode 275 after a few thoughts from our partners like John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions with a beautifully remodeled flagship showroom in Bellevue, now stretching across the state to eastern Washington, fireplaces, gas, wood-burning garage doors, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Zeke's Pizza loves the Seattle Kraken, and as the good guys attempt to get back into the NHL playoffs, Home games become spirited, to say the least. The Belltown Zeke's location with pre- and post-game celebrations if you're going to the game, homegrown in the Northwest. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage and Jordan Flowers' team. Mortgage rates a lot more reasonable. Jordan's group is there for you, ready to take advantage. Really creative solutions. Dial them up directly. Jordan Flowers' personal number. 404-872-7000. 
425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Daniel's broiler rolling into 2024. Valentine's Day week is different this year with it falling on a Wednesday why not celebrate with a trip to one of Daniel's great locations this coming weekend? Maybe the Less Shy original with its massive remodel on the shores of Lake Washington. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. This is episode 275, and it begins officially right now. Unfiltered. You can't find a person to say one, forget bad word about the guy. How about a mediocre word that he's just meh in some certain regard? Unfiltered. I think the reason why we're all in on Ryan Grubb is the, uh, let's steal him right away from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Let him not coach one day for Kalen DeBoer. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 275 is underway. Hotshot Scott is in Birmingham, Alabama on a work trip. So, we have commissioned the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Slickhawk Nicholas, who was my comrade on KJR for how many years? Uh, Six, six and a half years. Six like and that. a half yeah. years, yeah. I think so, yeah. When did, you yeah, jo- yeah. when did you join the station? How many years ago? Almost 12, almost 12 years, 12 and a half years, something 12, like that. 12, 12 and a half years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. You came to us as, as an intern. I was an intern oh, uh, from Green River College. Yeah, I worked on your show as an intern. On my show as an intern? On your show I as an intern. I remember you as an intern. Uh-huh, was, I was on your show as an intern. Was I nice to you as an intern? You were nice to me. Yeah, I enjoyed my time. Really? I mean, so much that I came back. <laughs> That's right. I was, I was, I was uh, brought in by Josh Sabrowski. Oh yeah, yeah. I was brought in, and um, sure, yeah. And I was there, and and Danny coming. He brought me in. My the day I started my internship was three days before Danny Cummings' last day on the show. Oh yeah. So. It was kind of a time of transition. And once the internship was over, you guys brought me back and I got to, you know, engineer and assistant produce the show and nice. moved up the ranks to producer. Nice, yeah. nice, nice, yeah. nice. You were one of many. <laughs> I was the last. <laughs> I outlasted them all. <laughs> That's my claim to fame. That's what I say. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't the first, but I was the last. <laughs> so you're relieved. You're relieved that the. San Francisco 49ers are not Ooh, Super Bowl champions, right? Look at these nails. Look at that. Chewed down really? from was, the game. Oh, was that I, I was sweating that. Sweating bullets. Yeah. No, no Niners Super Bowls. Absolutely not. No Niners uh, Super Bowls. I don't need them celebrating and hooting and hollering. And oh, God, so gross. No, don't want any of that. Was it a great game? Yeah, I would say so. I, I know a lot of people, it wasn't a thrilling game until the end. Right. There wasn't a ton of offense, but no. look, I'm somebody who I don't need there to be a ton of offense. If you're talking about like inept offense and like sloppy and ugly. Okay. 
But this was very, very well played defensively. It was really good defense. The defenses were hitting there. They were fast. And they, it was uh, a lot about scheming. And no, it was a really exciting game for me. And you were on the edge of your seat most of the time just because one play here or there was probably going to make the game. So for me, it was it was more exciting than I saw a lot of people saying on like social media and all that. It seemed very boring to me in the first half. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of scoring, as you point out. I don't know how they ended up going over. I guess they got to overtime, and it still ends up going over for all the overbetters. But I was having trouble rooting for anybody in that game. Oh, see, you're not like me. You're not petty. You don't have that That's petty. Well, about this, you're not, <laughs> you're not petty about this, about yes, the 49ers. I, I'm petty. So. I'm petty. Yeah, but I, I just I have every fiber in my uh, every every bone in my body is yeah. against the 49ers, and yeah. so I, I yeah. had that We're working uh, working against them. Did you enjoy the broadcast? Did you enjoy the the anthem? Did you enjoy <laughs> Usher? Tell me about Usher. I don't Usher. Know yes. Did you um, enjoy Reba McIntyre, the commercials? Reba did was you, fine. Did you like I enjoyed she- Post Malone more than I enjoyed Reba. Okay. But I really like Post Malone. I, yeah. I don't have a problem with Reba, but I, th- I thought Post Malone did a great job. Okay. Reba was fine. The halftime show. Yeah. I felt like I enjoyed every element of Usher's halftime show more than I enjoyed Usher. Okay. He brought out her, right? And I, I love her. And her. her. She's the she's <laughs> the woman who was playing guitar. Not she. It wasn't she. It was her. Her. <laughs> so they brought out her. her and he brought out Alicia Keys and he brought out Lil John and he brought out Ludacris. I enjoyed kind of every all of the elements of Usher's halftime show more than I enjoyed Usher, which is which is interesting because I like Usher. A lot of people do. So why didn't you like Usher's halftime? I don't know. It just it, it was a little miss. It missed a little bit for me. I don't really? know if it's he was okay. rushing through the song. He like rushed through like 10 songs in a minute, like just rapid fire a line or two and just went to the next thing. He looked kind of I don't know. He was he was out of breath a lot. And it was like he was not finishing like lyrics. It just it missed a little bit for me. But okay. everybody else kind of lifted it up. So commercials I was with it. Commercials. Yes. I felt overall this year, the bar had been raised a little bit. My favorite was the the Ben Affleck and the Matt Damon for the Dunkin I'm Donuts. I'm not sure that I understood that one. Can you explain that? What happened? Um, yeah. Yeah. Gen- so, Jennifer- yeah, because it was about J-Lo. Right. J-Lo, so he's yeah. like it's kind of like, you know, Taylor's uh, on with with Travis Kelsey at his job. Ben Affleck's going to go and support J-Lo at her job. And so he put together this whole musical number and Matt Damon, his best friend, you know, he said, I'll do anything you say. So begrudgingly, he has to go along with it. So yeah. I, I enjoyed that one, I think, the most. OK, all the extra stuff. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the best, but it was it was pretty good. I like the Schwarzenegger commercial. Yeah, that was good. The, the Schwarzenegger State Farm commercial. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. got a kick out of that one. Mm-hmm. I thought Reba McIntyre was really good. I actually li- liked Post Malone. I don't know who Post Malone is, mm-hmm. but I, I really enjoyed his rendition. Post Malone is an incredible artist. He, he came on as kind of like a hip-hop, one of these newer age kind of hip-hop artists. Yeah. But Mitchie, he does and can do everything really really well he's one of those he can slip into all different genres i remember during the the pandemic uh he got a couple of his friends together and Uh they did like an hour-long show of like nirvana's greatest hits really and this is a rapper wow um and he can like 
as you saw, kind of strip it down and be soulful as well. It's like he's he's one of the more talented artists that there is out there. I'm sure he's been on Saturday Night Live a couple times as well and everything, but he's he's super good, super did, good. Did you see the piece that CBS aired before the game started? Oh my with my God. What? That was one of the few times. I mean, that was one of the many times I was like brought to tears tonight. The My Way thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. How good was that? <laughs> that that did it to me. That was the, that was the first time I was in tears. And there was a couple commercials that got me in tears too. Uh, CBS always does this like huge production. Like if they don't have the Super Bowl, they do it for the AFC Championship, right? But this yeah. year they have the Super Bowl, so they saved it for that. Yeah. And uh whew, yeah, that that pulled at the at the heartstrings a little bit. How about Travis Kelsey bumping Andy <laughs> Reid on the sidelines because he was so scared the shit out of him. <laughs> he almost went down. Humpty Dumpty. I know. He almost he had to went hold him down. up. Yeah, he had to hold him up. All the great horses and all the great men, or whatever the <laughs> whatever the. It was almost a catastrophe. He almost yeah. went down on the sidelines. Yeah. yeah, that was not. I guess he had something to say. <laughs> he bumped him. He bumped him he, for God's he sake. He bumped him a little. He got in his face a little bit. Yeah, he scared him. Oh he my scared God. him. So it was an inner entertaining game for me and and how, i mean almost went into double overtime for god's sake how by the way how about the new overtime rules i don't want it for the regular season but i love it in the playoffs and in the, in the super bowl what new overtime rules so I, it's what i call the josh allen rule so if the niners had gone down and scored a touchdown when they had the possession the game wouldn't have been over oh i didn't know that the game would not have been over i did not know that in the playoffs both teams have an opportunity to possess the I ball. I did not. As I sit here, I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. So even if they had scored a touchdown. I was sitting there thinking the game is over. He's getting ready to go in. They yeah, no. A touchdown. They only got no, the Kansas City would have had the opportunity. And it's all because of the AFC Championship game a couple years Bears. ago with Mahomes and, and Allen. Yeah. And, you know, Mahomes, they, they went into overtime. And yeah. Allen never touched the ball. They came down, scored the touchdown. That was it. So they changed the rule only for the postseason. But you don't want the rule to be changed for the regular season. No, I don't think you need it for the regular season. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think you need it for that. Okay. It's, I would like the regular season overtime to go back to 15 minutes instead of 10. But no, I don't I don't need this for the regular season. But when you're talking about something as pivotal as the playoffs, especially, I mean, like it was tonight. Yeah, uh, both teams should should possess the ball, I think. And, and <laughs> it was it was. For a game that a lot of people thought was really boring for a lot of the time, it got real exciting real quick. Sure did. So. Sure did. Slicky, the season's over. The yeah. Chiefs the Chiefs are champions. Mm -hmm. And now we we start the the lengthy offseason. Yeah. The 49ers. Which feels it feels like even though this was the Super Bowl, it feels like this offseason has been three months long already, doesn't it? With the head coaching searches and offensive defensive coordinators, what's it gonna be like? And I've been my head's been so wrapped into like the coaching stuff and everything, I've totally forgotten about like oh free agents and yes, trades yes. and drafts Draft. and it's things coming. like that. Like you, there's a whole off season that's it's gonna coming. happen now. It's coming. It feels like we've already had an entire off season. The Dre Greenlaw Achilles tear Ooh. on the sidelines, Ooh, awful, yeah. awful for him, awful for for the 49ers, but. Don't forget now, he tears his Achilles. If it's ruptured, now I, I, I'm raising my hand. I had a ruptured Achilles tendon. I had the surgery. Mm. I, I wasn't a professional athlete. But, right. but I would think that if it's ruptured, I don't know if it's torn or ruptured. If it's ruptured, mm -hmm. I can't imagine that one of the best linebackers of the 49ers, Dre Greenlaw, will be available at the start of the season. He's looking 
at rehab, I would think, all the way into the regular season next year and maybe starting uh, the year 2024 on the PUP list. Really I mean, early to talk about something like that, but unless he's seeing Aaron Rodgers' doctors, right? Who were gonna? They were gonna. Did he they play? were gonna have him. They were gonna Did have him back. Did he play? No. Okay. No. Did, does he play linebacker? Uh, no. <laughs> A little different. Okay. Uh, and and by the way. He wasn't going to play. He wasn't. But <laughs> he wasn't going to No, that, so that's a huge blow delivered to them, obviously, right out of the gate. So, so now your Seahawks have done it. Yeah. They have hired a head coach. They have hired an assistant head coach in Leslie Frazier. They have now hired an offensive coordinator. Everybody in this town wanted Ryan Grubb to be the offensive coordinator. Call me whatever you want to call me, but I'm a little worried. I'll call you a couple things. <laughs> I'm a little worried. I don't know. Do we know for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure that a good college, a great college offensive coordinator will be a great offensive coordinator in the National Football League? Do we know? We don't know. We don't. We, don't, we never know anything. We wanted this. I, I wanted it. Well, I want. Boy, well, did I want it. Yeah, but you didn't want it as much as Huskies fans wanted it. Well, that's fine. Husky, uh, of course, Husky they, fans wanted it. Yeah. They, they wanted Alabama to get screwed over. <laughs> By the way, what was your favorite moment of the <laughs> of the Grub offensive coordinator era in Tuscaloosa? Do you have a favorite moment? Yeah, definitely that speech he gave when he <laughs> said, I, I'm Ryan Grubb and I'm the offensive coordinator for your Alabama yes, Crimson Tide. <laughs> that was my favorite moment. I know it's a lot of Husky fans' favorite moment, too. Yeah. Uh, no, so I... I Obviously, I don't share that with them. I just share the excitement that you're getting somebody who he uses motion a lot. Look at the, the, the offensive coordinators who are successful in freeing guys up. The guys that we watch and are like, why can't we do more of that? The Shanahan's, the McVeigh's, they use motion a lot. They use it to deceive. They use it to read defenses. They So that, it starts right there for me. He's bringing along Washington's former offensive line coach as Correct. well, Correct. which for me, I mean, that's huge in and of itself as well. As, as somebody who's watched this offensive line for a decade and a half, be mostly miserable. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, all those things. And just he has an aggressive mindset. You know, he is an aggressive uh, offensive coordinator. That's what I want. That's the mindset I want. Aggressive attack. Let's go. We'll see what it means, but sitting here today in mid-February, that's the kind of hire I want. A head coach that has not been a head coach virtually anywhere except for a high school team many years ago, mm -hmm. combined with an offensive coordinator who's never had a job in the NFL. Yeah. You know, that's why I love bringing in Leslie Frazier, right? You bring in somebody who's done it, who's going to be able to take okay. a little bit of that off okay. of his shoulders, All right. kind of the game management stuff and the it's somebody who's been there before. Right? I loved that Leslie Frazier. And by the way, if you read, the Seahawks were one of like four or five teams with young head coaches, first-time head coaches that were after Leslie Frazier. So they weren't alone in that idea. Um, so I think that's going to help. And at this point, I'm just philosophy over experience right now i'm all about the philosophy so the philosophy that i know these guys possess i mean mcdonald he was a hot coordinator right and this is kind of a hot oc so if you want to go that route which i did this you couldn't be happier with the way slicky. things turned out slicky yeah do you want his former 
college quarterback to join the fray also? <laughs> or where do you stand on the guy that beat your duckies, what, three times in a row? Did he beat your duckies? Three? He go 3-0 he and did. against he, your duckies? He did do that. You know, there's an old expression there, Slicky. Yeah. If you can't beat them, join them. You want them at six? What are they at 16 in the first round of the draft? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you do. Um, you want them, don't you? You want them a little bit. Oh, well, I I love Michael Penix. The, the same questions that everybody would be asking are the two questions that I'd be asking. Right. One is about the health and can he stay healthy and hold up and all that. And then the other is you, you faced a really good defense against Michigan and not all his fault, but didn't look the best, right? Now that's one game. I've seen a couple of years of Michael Penix uh, that kind of dispels all that for me. I've seen a lot of how good Michael Penix looks. I would love to have Michael Penix. Don't the same questions apply to the offensive coordinator? Sure. You went up against a great Michigan sure. defense and it didn't go so well. Don't yeah. you ask the same questions about Grubb that you would ask about Michael Penix? Sure, and I would I would counter with the same thing. I okay. saw a okay. lot of games okay. where and and against good defenses, I would consider Oregon a very good defense. I saw a lot of games where that didn't matter so much for the for the coordinator and quarterback. I'm good with if that's the route they go. I'm first, good with it. First round or and they don't have a second. You don't round. have a two, and I I can't imagine that he would be available in the third round. No, but you know John Schneider, He's especially gonna with be missing available. a two. Here's the thing. You slide back. Here's the thing. You can get him in the 20s. Get ready. Get ready for April because I'm just going to tell you right now. Mm -hmm. Michael Penix is going to be on the board and available when the Seahawks pick in the first round. Sure. Of the 2024 NFL draft. And we're going to. We are mm -hmm. going to be sitting there going, no, is this is this really going to happen? Well, that's when we'll know is how we really real? feel. Is this In that really moment, gonna... we will know how we actually feel about them selecting Michael Penny. This team with holes across the board, offensive line, aging wide receivers, aging safeties, aging linebackers, help needed in the interior of the defensive line. We're all going to be smitten with the idea of just draft the quarterback. Draft Michael Penix, number nine. I just don't necessarily agree with the assessment of the roster. Now, you're at a really? bit of a crossroads. You're at a bit of a crossroads where it can go one of two ways. But I just don't think this roster is that far away. I, I think this roster has talent. Obviously, it can use more. It could get a little younger, especially, you know, defensively. But that's that's how you kind of do it, right? You could do more veteran, a little bit older on offense. You go young, fast on defense. Mm. You could turn a defense mm. around pretty quickly if you draft mm. right. And John Schneider's done it before. So I don't think they're as far away as some people might think. And if you got the quarterback, look, you're already, what, a nine and eight team, right? I think they're eight a good and good system. Were they eight and nine? Eight, nine, nine and eight. I mean, it could go one of two ways, though, right? So let's go the right way. <laughs> I think it's you got to get a quarterback. Got to get a quarterback. Three interviews, episode 275, and then the other stuff segment with Slicky. As they say, tis the season, fireplace season, Fireside Home Solutions. John Waterstrat is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, John? I'd imagine everyone on your team over there is jolly this time of year. Yes, they are, and they're really busy. We're, uh, <laughs> we're over there getting everybody stocked up for the season, not only for installation stockups, but also for uh, product stockups. So we're ready to go and serve people here in the Northwest. And you also deal with a lot of repairs. We don't talk about repairs that often when you visit the 
the show. Talk to us about that. Yeah, either way, if tune up a fireplace, repair a fireplace, or if you need us to replace it, just mm-hmm. give us a call. Our unit that Fireside installed has been working overtime here at the house. What's the timetable in the heart of these winter months from Fireside Home Solutions, soup to nuts? We're doing great right now. We have uh, installers ready to go. We have product ready to go. So anywhere between two and three weeks, we can get a brand new fireplace wow. put in your house. Wow. First, the magnificent remodel in Bellevue. Now, what am I hearing about adding the Spokane market to the team? Yep, we just opened up our Spokane market. We're about three months uh, new to that market. We're going to be doing the same things we do over here in the Northwest. Everything from the top to the bottom, installation, service. Looking forward to serving that community. When do you think the showroom will open? We're hoping sometime here in March and April. We're going to go over and do some layouts. So, yep, we'll be excited. I think Mark Few needs to treat himself in Spokane to some cozy warmth after his cold trip to Montlake a few weeks ago. (laughs) So south to Portland and now east to Spokane, fireplaces, gas, electric, wood burning, garage doors. Begin your search with a great sponsor of Mitch Unfiltered, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. What seems to be the case, according to the person who took the photo, as well as some people who have commented on the photo, this is uh, right here. This is uh, Ryan Grubb over on the left. So last Friday was a pivotal day for the Seattle Seahawks as they hired Ryan Grubb away from Alabama, Tuscaloosa, to be Mike McDonald's new offensive coordinator. But how the world found out about the news might have been much more fun and interesting No, it wasn't Adam Schefter of ESPN or Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network who broke the news of Grubbs hiring to their millions of followers. It was our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered. Just a normal dude from the Northwest. His name is Kyle Baldwin, KB, UW commentator on Twitter. How are you, KB? Good. How's it going? Apparently, it's not going as well for me as it's going for you, or has this been a nuisance for you all weekend? Well, it hasn't been a nuisance. A lot of followers, a lot of notifications, a lot of texts. uh, Kind of been overwhelming in a way, but today it's finally slowed down a bit. You're a superstar. Yeah. More than 15 minutes of fame. So start at the beginning by telling our audience, who in the hell is Kyle Baldwin? Where are you from? What do you do? Give us a scouting report on Kyle Baldwin. Who are you? I'm just a normal guy, 29 years old, uh, born and raised here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, live in Bellevue and uh, work for Cutter and Buck Clothing Company. Dino's is my go-to spot, been there a lot, go there just about every week. So it's not uh, uncommon for me to see John Schneider or anything, and it was just a normal Friday and met a friend down there and I sat like kind of right by the door, see John walk in pretty normal, just kind of like watch him go by and then see uh ryan grubb and as soon as i see ryan grubb i like give him a shout out i'm like hey grubb and he kind of like glanced over at me and i think at that point he was probably thinking that he was kind of be kind of incognito as he walked in but my ass was recognizing everyone walking in so (laughs) as soon as he walked in i kind of called him out and uh they went and sat down and i sent the first tweet that was uh ryan grubb's at dino's i repeat did ryan grubb answer you when you said, Hey, grub, he kind of nodded at me. He looked like a little deer in the headlights. Cause, right. uh, I don't know if he was, I had to imagine that he'd know people would recognize him, but yeah. he was literally maybe two seconds after he walked in the door and 
So I just so happened to be right by the door. So it was just Schneider and Grubb, or were there others? McDonald was with him, but I kind of didn't really recognize him. He's so young looking that. Uh, <laughs> you recognize the offensive coordinator, but not the head coach? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a big Husky fan, UW commenter, and uh, season yeah. ticket holder for a long time. And oh. I actually got in a text like earlier that day that my, my buddy that's on some of like the dubbed up Discord, shout out to those guys, had said that he was in town, but it was just kind of a rumor. Mm-hmm. So then like, I just so happened to be the guy that saw him first in person and kind of confirmed that he was boots on the ground in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so McDonald, who you don't recognize, Schneider, who you do, Grubb, who you do, they walk in, you're sitting by the door, you see him walk in, and you send out a tweet that says... Ryan Grubb is at Dino's Pub or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it kind of instantly like took off that tweet, kind of put my phone down, not really thinking that it would blow up like that and just kept getting notifications. So I opened my phone back up and all these people were like replying to me, people I don't even follow <laughs> or that didn't even follow me and were like, you got to take a picture. Yeah. So at this point, I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> like, how do I go? sneak in this picture because I turn around from my chair and I'm like, if I hold my phone up right here, it's going to be super noticeable. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to the bathroom. Uh, they were sitting right by the bathroom and I'll just do like a drive by on my way out. Going to the bathroom. I was so nervous. I couldn't even take a piss. Uh, so I'm thinking like, how am I going to come out of here? Like if I don't get the picture, I got to walk back by and I'm gonna be like, what's this guy keep going to the bathroom for? Did, did people not believe you when you wrote the original tweet? Is that why you needed a picture or? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people were like, uh, just thinking I was some troll or whatever. And yeah. we're yeah. like, you got to take a picture to confirm. Okay. And people were like, what's your source? And I was like, well, me, I'm a Dino's. <laughs> uh, yeah. Come out of the bathroom, take the two drive-by shots. They're both just like blurry as shit, but you can kind of tell that it's Grubb and McDonald and Schneider. And then the fourth guy who apparently turned out to be, uh, I think he's the new linebacker coach. I don't know his name mm-hmm. for certain, but mm-hmm. uh, posted the picture. And uh, within about 10 minutes, that had like 30,000 views. Yeah. And the people next to me, I told them who it was and they were kind of following along with my Twitter journey. <laughs> and then like 20 minutes goes by and I'm like, Oh shit. It's got like a hundred thousand views in <laughs> my, at this point, my phone is just like nonstop on because the notifications are just like nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. Then I just started firing off a bunch of other tweets saying that grub chugged a beer and scream <laughs> that we're drafting Michael Penix, which didn't happen, but I thought it would be funny. Yeah. And then the, the, the funniest part was, after I tweeted that, people started pouring in. Oh, really? Uh, oh. Yeah, because at this point, my initial tweet saying that Grubb was there was probably like 20, 30 minutes beforehand. So all these people started showing up <laughs> and they're kind of looking around and people started going like up to the table, like directly to them. Yeah. Trying to like talk to them. And I was like, well, at least I'm not that guy because I took a little discreet picture. <laughs> but uh yeah, a couple of reporters came in and sat down and came up and told me that they got there because of my tweet. Nice. Who? Uh, can I drop names? Curtis Crabtree and sure. uh, Condota. Yeah. So Bob walked in and I was like, Bob, you're late. And he kind of scoffed at me. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just joking. Around. I was just joking around, but I was just joking around. But he was actually genuinely pissed off. Was he? Uh, was he really? Come yeah. on. I know Bob for years. 
You sure he was? He could look pissed off and not be pissed off. You know that, right? He, he might. He might not have been pissed off, but <laughs> yeah, I gave him a little jab and was like, "Bob, you're too late. I already got the scoop." <laughs> and he just kind of scoffed at me. Oh, that's so funny. Uh... And then uh, Schneider and them they go to leave, and uh, he comes over and stops in front of Bob and uh, Curtis, and he sits down next to Curtis. And they're like looking at my tweet on Curtis's laptop. And at this point I got kind of nervous cause I was like, Oh shit, John might be pissed that I like leaked this. Yeah. And he's sitting down and I kind of put my head down and then McDonald's just over there standing because John's sitting at the booth. And I, I was like, Hey, can I take my picture with you? And he had no idea I was the guy that leaked the news, but I took the little selfie with him yeah. and posted it. Then as soon as Schneider got up and left, like two minutes later, I got the ESPN notification or the tweet from Schefter saying that per sources, uh, oh, Grub was the new OC. Sources. And then, yeah, all the, the people next to me were like, you're the source. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back for a second. I buried some of the lead. I got, I, I need details, KB. You know, I'm a, I'm a details guy. I need details. First of all, what were you drinking? What were you eating? I was drinking a man, uh, Manny's, uh, <laughs> drinking lots of Manny's actually, and uh, had a little California wrap, uh-huh. and uh, uh-huh. Schneider and them were drinking Manny's as well, or some sort of pale ale. We offered to send a picture over there, but they, they didn't allow us. Okay. McDonald took the picture with you. I've seen that picture. It looks like he's thrilled to take the picture, but I think at one point you tweeted that you thought that Schneider was pissed at you. Yeah, well, I took the picture before John went and sat down next to Curtis, and they were looking at my Twitter. So I didn't want my my newest tweet to dox me out and be like, "Oh, so here's the guy that uh, posted oh, that sitting oh. right sitting right across from me." Oh, I see. So I deleted it until he until he walked out. But I posted it at first and was like, "Oh, cool! I got a picture with McDonald." And then John was sitting there looking at my Twitter page, and I was like, "Well, what was his reaction to your Twitter page?" Could you tell? Uh, I think he was a little shocked that it had so many views and had gained so much steam and that I basically uh, had revealed this. And according to Curtis, they had kind of hoped it stayed under wraps so that they could officially announce it uh, yesterday or today. But once it got to about 900,000 views, which it has (laughs) now, I think (laughs) I think the cat was out of the bag. Uh, I mean, come on. He brought the guy to a bar to a public bar that's semi-popular anyway. He had to know there was a chance that sports fans were going to be at the bar and see him with Ryan. Oh, yeah. Come on. What, what are we talking oh, about yeah. here? How, if he really wanted to keep it under wraps, he could have. Yeah. And some people have been like reaching out to me being like, oh, it's kind of ignorant that you post that. And I was like, really? I had like 300 followers in my profile pictures, Steve Belichick's mullet. Like <laughs> if I wanted to tweet that out, I feel like I can do that. I'm just some guy. Oh, God. And so do you feel like now that it's all said and done, do you think Schneider was mad when he sat down with Crabtree and whomever to see the – I mean, he brought the guy to Dino's and sat there yeah. with him. Yeah. I don't think mad's the right word. I think he was probably a little shocked that uh, just some random Twitter person would get that many reactions and get a picture just right of them and stuff like that. But I'm sure he knew going in there that they would be noticed. Yeah. Has the NFL Network or ESPN called and offered you a job this past weekend? No, but I wish. <laughs> okay. Did Bob Condota settle down, or do you feel like he's 
he was still pissed at you. I think he settled down. He may, he may have been the person that paid for our tab. Someone paid for our tab. Somebody paid for your tab. Part. I saw that. Yes. You don't know yeah. who. It just got paid. Don't know who. Just got paid for. Went to pay at the end and uh, knew it was going to be pricey because me and the person I was with, not planning to stay there for too long. And then after all this unfolded, I was like, hey, let's just keep drinking and hang out until they leave. That's great. They ended up staying for a while. So. I was there for maybe like six hours, a little too long, but yeah, it was a pricey tab. Whoever picked it up, so thank you. <laughs> Not a lot of people giving you credit. That's all right. Yeah, people have been DMing me, being like, "The Seahawks posted the beer uh, emoji thing and didn't credit you," and I'm like, "What are they going to say?" <laughs> like, you don't think that this was all a setup by Schneider that he wanted this to leak the way it did, do you? Uh, could have been, but I don't think so. Like I said, I'm sure they were aware that they would be recognized, but I'm just not sure that they envisioned it taken off like that. It just kind of caught on like wildfire. And yeah, like I said, it, hundreds of thousands of views in the time that they were still there. So by the time they left, I mean, it was being almost like reported before yeah. even Schefter yeah. that yeah. I had the scoop <laughs> and that Crub was the Seahawks OC. Yeah. I love it. It's a 15 minutes of fame story. You were great. You were a star right there for Friday night. You had beautiful women retreating you, didn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got I got dates lined up, dude. <laughs> you had to turn off your notifications though, at some point, right? Yeah, but I, I was looking I was looking for certain people to see who was reaching out. We fired off some shots in the DMs of some of the people that were retweeting me so trying to capitalize on my 15 minutes and so overall several days have gone by since since the friday was it overall a good experience bad experience were there parts of it that you didn't like it's been fine yesterday was kind of weird i didn't really open up twitter because i just couldn't keep up with everything but it's been normal like i said i'm just a normal dude so i just hung out and watched the waste management yesterday and had a bunch of people texting and reaching out to me and kind of asking me like what happened. And I was like, I just saw him and posted the picture and the rest is history. Don't really have the words for it all. A lot of mean spirited people out there. Oh yeah. There's, there's a, there's a lot of people. I, I know people were like stealing the, the picture and posting it as like themselves that they saw McDonald and whatnot. And uh, even like the selfie that I took, people were reposting that is like themselves and I like tweeted at the guy and I was like, Hey, can you take this down? They're, all these people were like being like, why would you want him to take this down? I was like, well, it's literally me in the picture. <laughs> people saying nasty things to you too about the picture, oh, yeah. right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then all the Alabama fans somehow stumbled across my page yesterday. News travels a little slow down there, I guess. <laughs> uh, Feeling bad for the, um, for Kalen DeBoer and everybody in Tuscaloosa. Hell no. <laughs> Kyle Baldwin is his name. He broke the news. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. KB broke the story on Friday. He was in the right place at the right time, and he deserves all the credit. Thank you, KB. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand there's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay. I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the 
S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. But I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. Okay. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that trade at attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down 1%? I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Oh, really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, yeah. we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm-hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31. I'll say the 31%. So they're actually up 24%. Oh, no, <laughs> so you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really, there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the if the stock. Well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over three percent this year. So I go one for three, and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. They call me the coach that never putts. And we play the game of football a lot differently. You don't understand the hate I deal with. People hate us. But I'm just trying to win games. Many years ago on the KJR Morning Show, we featured an Arkansas high school football legendary coach that was not only radically successful, but radical in the way that he approached the game. Our listeners were fascinated. I was fascinated. Never punt. Never kick off deep. Always onside kick. Always go for it on fourth down. He's back. He's the nine-time Arkansas State champ, Kevin Kelly. It's so nice to have you back, Coach. It's been a long time. Man, glad to be back. And we both we both had some good and bad life experiences, but I appreciate you having me on. Always yes. good to talk. Yes, let's uh, let's get back into it. But before we do, people will love your approach. Why don't you uh, get us up to date on what the last five, seven years have been like for you? Okay. Uh, my last year in high school, 2019, 2020 year, uh, we won our state championship. It was my ninth. And I decided I want to try something different. So I went to the smallest FCS school in the country. And uh, they had like 975 students undergrad. And uh, they went down there and had, you know, I think they were averaging two wins a year for like the past 15 years. And, and uh, they decided to do away with scholarships and see if they could compete, but 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 uh, save some money. And so I tried that. I didn't do a good job, uh, to be honest with you, because I went down there in July. I didn't get to see the kids till August, and we played a game 
29 days later. And I, I didn't have time to put in everything I wanted. I didn't do a good job with the time I had to be quite honest. So I end up uh, asking for a couple things they didn't they didn't want to give me, and uh, so I resigned. And then Coach Belichick offered me a job with the Patriots, and and uh, so I, w- I went up there for a short time and really decided, you know, my daughter was a senior in high school, I, w- I, I wasn't gonna be able to see her graduate, and I just decided, you know what, I'm gonna get out and try something else. So I started doing some consulting work with some teams, college and and, and NFL and high school, and and did that for a short time and started a little business for two to 10 year olds still have that going. And now I just took a job back at a six, a school here in Arkansas about six weeks ago. Wow. What's that look like? You know, I wanted a project because the school I was at that I won a bunch of state championships at, they had never been past the semifinals, only been there once in their whole school history. So I built them up and made them a, you know, pretty much a powerhouse and, and I won that again while well, I picked a school out that hasn't had a winning season since 1997 and hasn't won a single playoff game since 1987. And uh, But it's a town that's close to Little Rock, so I can live here and drive back and forth. And that's, nice. and that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to turn a complete – I mean, like a complete turnaround and see if I can build another school. So I'm excited about it and love working with the guys. So the man who was profiled in Sports Illustrated and on HBO several times is back on the sidelines. For the members of our audience, maybe younger members of our audience that don't know you, don't know the story, no punts, always use all four downs on offense, always onside kick – all based on mathematics. Go back over it a little bit. Give us a recap. I know you've been asked a million times. Let's ask a million and one. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll try to make it quick. I uh, when I when I first got a head job in 2003, I was, it was a school. I was at the I was the OC, and they just brought me in and say, "Hey, the other coach is leaving. We want to offer it to you first. I'm like, "Yeah." You know, everybody thinks they're ready to take that next step. And I and I remember walking in, sitting down in the office, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, what's going to make me any better than anybody else that's ever been here?" You know, we all just coaching, and we're getting the same kids every year. And so I really took a look at the program, started asking why. Why are we doing this in July, January? Why are we doing this in July? And then I got to the on the field stuff. Why are we punting? Why are we running this offense? Why? What are we really trying to accomplish? But I wanted to know why we're doing this. So I bring my coaches in, start asking why. And I got to the football field uh, itself and, and field position. I said, hey, why Why do we punt? And they're like, field position, to help the defense. And I said, well, that all sounds good. But I saw my first glimmer of analytics in 2003 that showed that field position wasn't as important. And so I started, you know, kind of crunching numbers on my own because I, I was a, I was the accounting major at first in, in college. And and I'm a numbers guy, so I started crunching my own numbers. I'm like, I don't, know, I don't think, I think this guy's right. Field position isn't as important as we think. So I started doing that that year as a head coach. We started punting less. We played. We ended up uh, playing 15 total games. We punted 22 times. I liked the results. I'm getting shamed and yelled at by our own fans <laughs> when we didn't make the fourth downs because nobody was doing that. And then, in, and then uh, as we went along, I started dabbling with other things and onside kicking in 06 and 07. And that's when ESPN wrote, uh, wrote a piece. And then sports illustrated came out in 09. And then I went to the MIT Sloan sports analytics clinic and they had me speak there in 09. And I got to get in with some data scientists and make some relationships and having them run some numbers for me. So did that again in 14 and really just changed everything. I started orchestrating my football teams and our practices around the six or seven things that affected and won football games the most. And it was a game changer because I did win three state championships and I'm really good on offense and, and we were doing the no punting thing too, but I'm good on offense. And, 
we won three state championships from 03 to 14. And then when I got, I got, went to that second Sloan sports analytics clinic and came back and just completely shifted to analytics. We won six of the next seven state championships. <laughs> and that was the real changing place for me. There were games that you were up 30 before the opponent ever got the ball. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, those those are fun and not fun because the other team's really, really mad. But we would score, <laughs> onside, score, onside, score, you know, and they couldn't get the onside kicks. But we're not doing, you know, everybody goes, well, that wouldn't work in college, the NFL. None of those guys, you'll see a few kicks that we do, but they're not doing it right. They're kicking it where the front line can go block your guys and the back guy just has to make a clean catch. We keep the ball on the ground a lot where the front guys have to think, uh, am I going to go block my guy? Do I need to fall, try to try to recover this thing? Make them think or make them have to recover it because a lot of times it'll hit them in the leg if they're just running blindly to block their guy. So different kick, but uh, but uh, I think that's the big difference. But when we started doing that and getting good at those, we were up 29 to nothing with nobody, the other team not having the ball. And I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to win the game if you get up 29 nothing and they haven't had the ball yet. You know? I'd hope so. Uh, or you're going to lose a job if you're not uh, winning games yeah, yeah, 29 yeah. nothing before they score. As the years go on, numbers change, math changes, dynamics change. You and I haven't talked in a long time. Has anything in your game plan and strategy been altered a bit or added or changed at no. all? Or is everything exactly the same? No, it's I've added to it tremendously. Okay, let's hear. And, 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 and here's, some, here's a couple examples. And, and people, I, I don't know why more analytics aren't used or exposed or whatever, but, but you know, like I, I got these data signs, they're feeding me information. I think partially because they like me to experiment with it on the field. But, uh, but, but here's one. I mean, 77% of all games are won by who has the most quarterback sacks. And no quarterback, even in the NFL, plays better, has better QBR with a blitz and pressure with pressure than they do without none of them do now some of them are better against pressure than others but they're none of them are better than where they're not pressured okay. so you realize that and you realize 77 percent of all games are having the most sex so my defense i say hey we're going to blitz and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and then on offense you've got to reduce those amount of sacks and it's not blocking schemes and it's not this and that it's teaching your quarterback to be better on the pre-snap to, to have an idea where he's going to throw the ball to get it out a little quicker because you'd also don't there's no the analytics show, well, throwing short's not the answer. You know, throwing three-yard passes is not the answer. And you'd go, well, you're avoiding sacks where you are, but you're also getting three yards. Right. You know, so so we developed ways to do it. Here's another one. On the first play of a series, if a team makes less than four yards on the first play that they have it, not on first down, but on the first play that they have a, the ball in a series, okay. they're 40% less likely to score. 40% less wow. likely on that one play. Wow. So then what do I do? We started scouting the heck out of first plays of series. You know, you'll have eight games on a team and you can go, they have a tendency to run one of these three plays. We're going to stop those three. And if they make more than that, that's on me team. That's not on you because I told you we're going to stop these three, because if we stop those three, 40% less likely to score. And that's the biggest play in any, in any, part of a series that determines, I mean, the next closest one was like 18%. Mm -hmm. And that's the, if they get in a second and uh, 10 or more, and they get it down to less than three yards for third down, then that just goes down. Or if they don't, that gets it down 18%. But that 40% is such a big number. We start including that in our analytics and our coaching and our, 
in our strategies and stuff like that. And then, then I want to make darn sure when we had the ball on first and series, I wasn't throwing a bomb, a low percentage play. Right. I want to make sure we got our four yards and got rolling mentally and psychologically and in the group play calling wise. Wow. Do I remember correctly? I might be wrong about this, but I have a vague recollection that I once read that you at times, maybe not very often, rushed all 11 guys on defense at a quarterback. Now, I might be making that up. You did read that, and it was 10. <laughs> the reason it was, <laughs> it was one, 10. Because, one guy? One guy's back? <laughs> well, they had two tight ends, and they had one split out. So we didn't let the corner on that side go because he had a guy. Okay. And, and and the other 10, yeah, we, we sent them because their guys didn't go out. They blocked. So if they don't block, if they block, you can, you can go. Now, oh if God. they would have blocked for a second and released the kid, we'd have been in trouble. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we've rushed 10 before, but not 11. So people are yelling at me, ask Coach if he punted 11 or 13 times, whatever the number is, 18 times. What is the situation where Coach would punt instead of going for it on fourth down? You know, I did. I punted from – from 06, and that's where I, that's the last I can remember. But from 06 <laughs> to 2020, I punted eight times, and the times that we punted were really because time was of the essence. One was right before the half, for instance. So we're on our own 20. It's fourth and eight, and there's 10 seconds left. So even if we make the first down, there's no reward for us. There's only risk because if we don't make it, they can kick a field goal. You know that was a time, and then. In 2017, we are in the state championship game, and we had the lead by three, and we were on the, the other team's 45, and it was like fourth and nine or something. And there were 50 seconds, and they had no timeouts. They needed a field goal, but they didn't have a good kicker. And so I'm like, okay, nobody puts anybody back against us when, if we punt because nope, everybody, no, we don't punt. So we knew we would get run about 10 seconds off by letting it roll around down there and we'd get all net punt. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, you know, we punted, ran off, I think 10 full seconds down to 40 seconds. They had the ball on their like, you know, 15 yard line and they're not a passing team and they got a bad field goal kickers and no timeout. So, you know, time, time of the essence is what really makes the decision for me and risk reward, you know, that, that we're coming out right before the half and there's 10 seconds left, even if we make a first down, there's no reward. There's all risk there. So that's a big factor in it. So coach is saying that in a normal first quarter or third quarter situation where time is a, is not of the essence, you're facing fourth and 20 from your own five yard line. You're mm -hmm. going, you're going for it. And it's not a good idea to punt on fourth and 20 from your own five, you know, seven minutes into the game. And, and this is going to sound arrogant. It's not meant to be. But in the in the world of even in, even when I was in college, we we didn't have success and we had all walk ons and and you know they were good kids and tried hard and all that. But we still finished first in the country in passing offense out of all Division one schools and third in total offense. Okay, so we were still good on offense. I'm I just that's what I'm good at. I'm good at offense now. So the point I'm making is this: that's not good for all teams. Fourth and twenty from your own five, but I want more possessions. You know, if you play a slow game. In the NFL or in college, you might get, or in high school, you might get ten possessions in a game. Mm -hmm. So, but 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 if my team scored like the last four years, if we didn't have a turnover or give up a sack, we we scored eighty eight percent of the time that we had the ball. Now that's a phenomenal amount. The national average is like thirty two. So we score at a high rate. So consider that. So if there's ten possessions in a game, in theory, 
even after interceptions and stuff like that, we're going to score six and a half to seven times. So we're going to score, let's say we scored seven out of ten times. Well, let's say the other score team has a good day and they score half the time. We're going to beat them seven touchdowns to five touchdowns. But if I can double the number of possessions in a game, mm-hmm. instead of winning by two touchdowns, we're going to win by four touchdowns. That leaves a lot more room for error, bad officiating calls, mm-hmm. dumb play calls by me, a turnover, a sack. So I try to increase the number of possessions. Well, then if you realize also that I don't have to spend 20 minutes a day on punt, is that fourth and 21 possession worth the 20 minutes a day I've got to spend on punt? To me, it's not. So we go for it on fourth and 20 on our own. And unless time is of the essence, like I say. Yes. Coach Kelly, I I think it's 10 years since you and I spoke. And college and NFL football offensive strategy has changed, definitely changed in the last 10 years since you and I got together. Teams are going for it on fourth down nowadays dramatically more than they did five or seven years ago. Teams are going for the two-point conversion dramatically more since the, the, the point after touchdown became a lot more difficult and missable. So the big guys are slowly sliding towards Kelly. Do you feel it? Do you feel it in your bones? Yeah, do you think it's our fault? Do you think it's because we were on together? You know, I, I will say this. I do think Daryl Morey's the one that started that analytics thing way back in, in 09 or 08. And there were a bunch of NFL teams there, but no coaches listened. But over time, slowly but surely, it's starting to go that way as analytics became more prevalent. In baseball, it was prevalent early. You know, and, and Moneyball and what the Oakland A's did was really the, the kickstarter of that. That came out. The book came out a, a couple months after, uh, I think late in 2003, after I was already a head coach. And and then the movie came out. And I think that was a big movement towards it. But as they do this, I think owners are getting smarter and going, look, do we want our coach going on gut instinct or do we want him to do what the numbers say have been in hundreds of thousands of instances? Do we want them thinking like that? So I think there's a push for the owners from the GMs to do the same thing. And as we get rid of the old folks, and I'm one of the old folks that actually just got lucky and don't think like everybody else. <laughs> but as we get rid of the as we get rid of the older guys, the younger generation is brought up in the analytics world and look at the youth and the in the NFL coaches now and the youth in college. And they were brought up in a different world. They were brought up in what I call the PlayStation era, the Madden football, the NCAA football on PlayStation. And that's how I win my kids over. This new group, I go down there. I'm talking to them like, okay, y'all know who I am. Y'all watched my overtime TV show for three years. You know, know, tell me what your hangups are about not punting and onside kicking and some of the other things we're going to do. But that's the two big ones for y'all. I had a defensive back raising because, Coach, I play D-back. And I don't want you being on our own 20 and – not go not and not punting and so we're on the 21 play touchdown everybody's looking at me and mad at me because i gave up a touchdown i said well let me ask you this i said raise your hand in here if you're competitive and they know they better raise their hand because i want them to win i said if we play if we play quarters or if we play pitch pennies against the wall or if we play dominoes i want you to try to win if you can i don't want you on our team winning is important it's a reward for all the work i said number two when you when, when you play playstation raise your hand if you try to win every time you play of course all of them raise their hand yeah. I said, raise your hand if you punt on PlayStation. They all put their hand down. I said, so if you're trying to win and you're not punting, why do you want me to punt <laughs> if I'm trying to win? Ah, uh, yeah. And everybody, the kid waited about two days. He came back <laughs> by himself. He's like, coach, I'm sorry. You're right. That's a good point. <laughs> but that's how to win them over. We are in a PlayStation 
even the NFL coaches and stuff, they grew up with that and they never punted and they go, well, I mean, at least I never punted, you know, and, and on PlayStation, I guess I shouldn't what I'm doing here, but I think there's a lot of that. They were born in the analytics world and that's why it's leaning that way. But I do, I, this, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I do think they called me, Daryl Morey called me back in 09 because he could not find a football coach that gave one bit of care about analytics. Mm-hmm. And he did that, and every NFL team had six people there, and they put me on a stage with some other guys, and we talked about it. People saw it, and then in 14 it happened again. Then you get the youth, and I think that did start the movement of football because football is the last one to really come of all the sports. And it's because in baseball, I can't tell you who – I couldn't pick them out of a lineup, the Seattle Mariners – general manager, but I could darn sure tell you who was coaching the Seattle Seahawks football team. The coach was the face of the organization. And if the ship was going to go down with that coach, he didn't want to go it down with a bunch of nerds telling him what to do. <laughs> that was the ego part of it. And that's why football is the last to change in my opinion. I want you to go back coach Kelly to before the Super Bowl, all the way back to the NFC championship game. If you don't mind Dan Campbell of the lions all year long, Went for it on fourth down, I think, more than anybody else, kind of like you. And then he, yeah. do, he does it in the NFC Championship game a couple times. It doesn't work. They lose. They may have won had they taken points in those possessions, and now he's getting railed for two weeks by the entire NFL media. What do you make of it all? Well, number one, whether he was right or wrong, and I'll get into that in just a sec, whether he was right or wrong, the people that were applauding him for going for it all year certainly – should not be hypocrites and criticizing him now. You know, you're telling him how great he was and how gutsy he was before, and now you're criticizing him. I, I'm, I'm just so against that because it's easy to sit there and, and hindsight, you know, and do that. And we've talked about everybody's talked about that. The second thing is, I will say this: in dealing with the data scientists and the guys that run the numbers and stuff like that, one thing they won't take into consideration is momentum slash emotion because they can't assign a constant to their algorithm to come up with the numbers, okay? And I get that. They don't know how much it's worth, so they won't do it. And, I'm tell- and I would always tell them, it's, like, it's worth something. I'm telling you, it's worth something when you don't make it on fourth, going for it on fourth down, right. or it's worth something for the defense when they do make you punt. You know, we need to assign something. Well, they won't, so they've got their numbers. So according to the numbers, Dan Campbell in both situations was right by just a minuscule in the first one where they would have caught up three scores. He was barely right, but he was slightly right. But that's with no emotion involved. So here's what even I, and I, and I, and I love Dan Campbell. Like if that guy told me to go run through a wall, I'd go run through it 15 times, you know, that, that kind of thing. Cause I believe in him. But even in that moment, analytically, he was right by the numbers, but he was wrong in my opinion, because of this, they don't take into consideration the emotion. They were up two scores. That would have put them up a third score. It was third quarter. There's a limited number of possessions. San Francisco's probably going to get four, so they've got a score on three of those, even to tie them if he makes that field goal, and he had about an 80% chance of making the field goal. Mm-hmm. So, and then the emotion, though, if they don't make it, is what really shifts and gives a team more confidence. And when you've got more confidence and you've got the emotion – that where everybody's like, well, how does that really affect football? I'll tell you what it does. When you've got confidence, you don't hesitate. The quarterback doesn't hesitate. He sees, he throws. When things aren't going your way, you see, and then you go, is he really open? And then you throw, and you've wasted half a second, and the defender's closed ground, or the defensive end has gotten closer to you and put pressure on you. And so is the same thing for the guys calling the plays on both sides of the ball and all that. The emotion 
needs to be taken into consideration somehow, some way in the analytics world, because it is a thing. And now, to the line credit, Josh Reynolds should have caught that ball. And then we're not even having this conversation. But the way it was, it was close, and he went by what he's done all year. So I don't denounce what he did by any stretch. I still think it was slightly wrong because I'm one of the people that have applied analytics. You know, it's easy to sit over there and never coach a game and go, this is the numbers, you should do this. And it's easy to be on the field and go, I'm not doing that. Y'all don't know how it feels. You know, that's a Marvin Lewis type thing that he he and I got into on on HBO Real Sports. They covered him and covered me and asked him about this, what I was doing. He said, well, you know, uh, you know, I'm not doing all that gut on the field tells me what to do. It's in between. I've got applied analytics where I've been there and understand and felt it. And I'm just telling you emotions have to play a little bit of a part as much as I'm also have a biology degree and emotions should not play a part. It does in a game like football, because it is an emotional passion field game. Last question for you, coach, and I'll let you go. What leaves you most frustrated with coaches decisions on NFL Sundays? I can tell you, and my audience can tell you that Mitch is perennially frustrated with how many big time coaches mismanage the clock and timeouts at the end of half and game situations. The one that always gets me, Coach, is the NFL coach who lets the clock run to the two-minute warning, and then he takes a timeout at 152 after the next play instead of taking the timeout at 208, and then after the next play, it's the two-minute warning and we're eight seconds. How about you? What is it that you watch on Sundays in the NFL that leaves you scratching your head? Okay, that's one of them, and especially go go from 208 to about 210 or 211, and, and they're getting close to. Let's say it's third down. Yeah. If you call that if you call that timeout at 208, 210, 211, if it's third down for them, now they've got to make a decision. They got to make the decision whether they're going to throw the ball and stop the clock again before the two minute warning, right, or run the football. But if you run it down to two minutes on the next one. On the next one, number one, you've wasted that sec- amount of seconds you yeah. could have already saved, yeah. eight or ten or twelve seconds. Yeah. But at least you're gonna, at least you make them have to, you make them have to think twice. They're like, gosh, I've got to run the ball on third down, not even take a chance on passing the ball, which I want them not to even have a choice. We know what you're gonna do. But the big one to me is the one right below that, where it's right below two minutes, and the other team's behind, but they're down inside your twenty, and they don't take the timeout and just let it go down to you know, eight seconds before they kick a field goal and beat you. Those are the ones that drive me insane. But, you know, I like it to this. There's not an NFL team that's not worth at least $2 billion. Okay. So if you and I have a $2 billion company and we are the CEO, which is the coach, the GM, and we consistently make the dumb decisions like that (laughs) and cost our team games, which leads to money because the difference between one loss might be 10 games or 11 wins. And that might be a playoff game or not, or a home playoff game, you know, a home playoff game. If you look at the number of generated tickets, TV revenue, what they're going to sell in the store, food, parking, and all this is worth about $35 million to at least minimum to a team. (laughs) So we made a $35 million decision and we continue to make them poorly. Are we going to still are we gonna? We either gonna get trained to be better at that, or we're gonna get fired. Uh, and it happens every week, week after week. And that's what really drives me crazy because those are decisions that have nothing to do with analytics, gut, this, that, the other. Those are just 
smart decisions that everybody should understand. Come back again. Let's not make it 10 years the next time, okay, Coach? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. I appreciate it, and sorry about the rambling. You got <laughs> me involved in my passion. Uh, great to have you back. Thank you. Hey, it's time to welcome back Lindsay Schwartz to Mitch Unfiltered, Daniel's Broiler Special Occasions. Lindsay, welcome back. How's the start of the year over at Daniel's? And tell me about the reaction to the Leshire model. Hey, Mitch. Yeah, things are great. Happy New Year to everybody. The Daniels remodel at Leshi came out awesome. People love it. I love it. Our guests love it. Nice. We're really happy with it. Go check it out if you haven't. Holidays were fantastic. January, of course, is a little bit slower. Now it's time to roll into February and, of course, Valentine's Day, which is uh, one of the greatest, greatest weeks of the year for us. No better place, none, than Daniels Broiler for Valentine's Day. Now, Lindsay, Valentine's Day falls midweek. On a Wednesday, is that good, bad, or don't you care over at Daniel's Broiler? Oh, Mitch, it's the best. Let me tell you something about the restaurant business. We love Valentine's Day Why? on a Wednesday because it's right smack in the middle of the week. And this way, people can go on the weekend either before or after. And I'll tell you, for me personally, this is the best because around Valentine's Day, a couple of days before, my phone starts blowing up every year. First thing in the morning, it goes all day. It goes late at night. It's my friends. It's anybody I've ever met. It's anybody that somehow found my cell phone number. And they're like, hey, I hate to do this, but is there any way you can get me into Daniel's for Valentine's Day? I waited too long, and now I look like a jerk. Could you just fit me in? And uh, I try. I mean, I try with everybody. But the thing that I love, and here's what I'll start telling people is, you know what? I can't get you in right on, on Valentine's Day, but I can do even better. I can get you in on the weekend, get you in on the weekend. You can look like a hero. You can say, I planned this. I want us to have a great romantic weekend. You can get a hotel room at the Hyatt in Bellevue or the Hyatt in Seattle. There's all kinds of options. So I love it. And I'm going to be encouraging people to do the weekend. And when it's on a Wednesday, that means you can do the weekend before or the weekend after. Nice. Everyone's a winner. Everyone. Well, kind of. What if we insist on going on Wednesday, Valentine's Day. Any shot or no? I'll tell you what, if you haven't made your reservation <laughs> by now, you're not going to get one. Unless your name is Mitch Levy, uh, maybe. So should I give everybody your cell phone number on Mitch on Felter? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, please do. Let me say it right now and then post it on uh, Twitter uh, and on your website. Daniel's Broiler for Valentine's Day. Great locations. Try any one of them. There's not a better place to celebrate special occasions than Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Pitchers and catchers report to Peoria, Arizona this week, I believe, which makes it time for another Mariners No Table on Mitch Unfiltered, Jason Churchill, Joe Doyle. Jason, does Jerry DePoto have one more ace or maybe a jack up his sleeve or something? Where are we on payroll this year coming up? versus payroll last year that they spent. Yeah, I wish there was a a reliable, public, accessible uh, sheet for this, but there's really not. So we just have to rely on the, the resources that are out there. Uh, it looks like there's somewhere between, uh, somewhere around $135 million right now, Mitch. And that's including the entire 40-man roster. That's the 26 projected players 
on the big league roster that we think are going to make opening day. And then 14 players are going to be in the minors um, that are also included uh, in that. And that's about $135 million. Really almost no matter where you look, it's right in that range somewhere, uh, which puts them about five to $8 million lower than it was a year ago. Now, a lot of these, a lot of the differential you're going to see in these is, are you looking at it from a 26 man roster standpoint or a 40 man roster standpoint? I'm looking at it from a 40 man roster standpoint, because if we're sitting here, Mitch, and we're like, how much are these cheap ass Mariners owners going to spend? We have to account for every penny because they're sure going to want us to. So if we go down that road, we have to include everything. So I go 40 man roster right around 135. If they finish the season, September 30th, whenever, at 150 because of 40-man ads and, I mean, maybe a free agent signing in May or, or maybe a trade. Does that, in your eyes, Jason, does that qualify as the season having a higher payroll than last year? Or do you kind of judge this based on Jerry's comments and we're going to open the season with more payroll than where we started or where we ended last year? I would count that, Joe. I would count that as having a higher payroll. Um, I'd want to know how they got to 150, though. That would be meaningful. If they went out and made a significant deal during the season at some point or between now and the start of, you know, the the schedule, the regular season, they went out and added a, a player that was making 10, 12 million bucks and they got to the 150 range. Great. I mean, that counts. They do it in July or early August, whenever the deadline is. Sure, that counts because at the end of the year last year, they were at around a buck 40. So I think that counts. Remember, they cut payroll during the season last year. And we all kind of thought or hoped at least, guys, hey, they did this thing in, in, in May and June and they kind of set themselves up for a July acquisition. And then they end up cutting a little bit more payroll with the Seawall deal to Arizona. So uh, I don't know. I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. But yeah, they're, uh, they're pinching pennies right now. And uh, it looks like if they're going to spend about what they spent last year, they have about five million bucks left. So I don't expect anything significant, Mitch, between now and, and opening day. But I also think maybe there could be some wiggle room. I think that's the, uh, you know, the magic phrase now. We don't actually know what the number is. We're all kind of assuming that it's about what it was last year or maybe they'll go a million or two above because Jerry DePoto has said we're probably going to spend more on payroll. We expect to spend more in 2024 than we did in 2023. But is that $5? Is that $5 million? We don't know what that is. So uh, I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see. Pins and needles at this point with that front office. Joe, how should fans, how should Mariner fans feel about what Jason Churchill just said? The Mariners spending last year vis-a-vis what they're going to spend this year. I don't think anything has necessarily changed since we found out at the winter meetings that Jerry DePoto's uh, payroll has been cut. There's no other way to feel other than frustrated and disappointed with this ownership group. Now, I will say, as as we kind of look toward the future, you know, Rob Manfred did point out earlier this week that his goal is that for the 2025 season, there's going to be a streaming option that includes the ability to for, for half of the league, half of the fan bases in the league to get their team on MLB.com without blackouts. So that, I mean, listen, if that solves the problems of ownership, then they should be willing to open up their pocketbooks a little bit here. But Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be someone, I try not to be someone that tells fans how to fan, but I will say, I do feel like the discourse behind Jerry DePoto's offseason and Justin Hollander's offseason has been a little bit unfair. Considering the hand that they were dealt, I think they've done... Uh, frankly, I think they've done a marvelous job in not only improving the team, 
keeping the farm system, keeping all the starting pitchers in hand. I mean, they've they've done as good a job as they possibly could, uh, considering the uh, the handicap that they were dealt. Church, he just used the words improving the team. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people in our audience that would disagree with Joe because they look at Kelnick and they look at Teoscar and they look at Suarez and they say, well, we have not gotten back what we've sent away. You agree mm-hmm. with Joe that the team is better right now than it was last year? 100%. And, and I think the Polanco and Santos deals, those two acquisitions put them over the top because before that, I was kind of right in that range. But here's the thing. Eugenio Suarez was not good last year. Okay. Teoscar Hernandez was not good last year. Really? So sending them away, you know, for it's there's kind of two angles to this. It made it uncomplicated and and not very difficult to actually get that back. And they got that back pretty easily. Whoever you want to say is replacing those players, whether it's Luke Rayleigh and, and Mitch Garver, fine. But there's no way to look at this with Polanco and Santos, uh, Polanco being your second baseman. Uh, Santos, a third high leverage guy in your bullpen now, uh, and Luke Rayleigh in the outfield with Mitch Garver, your primary D8. There's no way to look at that and say that's not better than what they had last year. How about we health? Do you factor yeah, that's health? A thing. Do you factor in health? The guys that they sent away were dependable to be out there mm-hmm. 159 to 162 games, and the guys they got back are injury prone and have not played full seasons. Sure, because basically we're looking at 11 or 12 players to fill those nine spots in the in the lineup instead of, you know, 10 and a half, essentially. That's really all that's happening here. We're going to see Josh Rojas and Luis Urias play third base instead of Eugenio Suarez. So two guys. Rayleigh's probably not going to be a guy who plays 160 games, probably because there's only going to be a couple of guys to do that. We know Mitch Hanniger. You know, they can't count on him being an everyday guy. Maybe he's only a 70-game guy. Do they have those things covered if people get hurt and as well as you can expect them to, yes, they do. I think they've covered that. And I think if, if you told me right now, they get 80 games on a Mitch Haniger and everybody else is relatively healthy from an offensive standpoint, nobody significant misses, you know, a bunch of time. This offense is clearly better than last year. I'm not saying it's, you know, 30 points in batting average and 50 homers better and a hundred runs better, but it's clearly better. The same as like two is clearly better than one. Uh, that's kind of the way I look at this. And I think they have covered, at, you know, as well as you can expect them to, Mitch, the injury portion of that, because that is going to happen with Mitch Hanniger. That has to be the expectation. There's one qualifier that I have with this team that bothers me a little bit, but it's probably just because it's unfamiliar territory for me. The, the, the lineup reminds me a little bit of where the Giants have been over the last eight to 10 years. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, they've won several divisions. They've won World Series titles. But what this team doesn't have anymore with with Jared Kelnick not in the fold is they don't have a guy that can break out. I, at least I don't identify a guy on this roster that can break out and turn into a middle of the order impact player. Mm-hmm. So you know what you're going to get or, you know, for for more or less, you know what you're going to get from Luke Rayleigh and Mitch Garver and Mitch Hanniger. And, you know, you've got a bunch of guys that are going to give you two F4, two wins over replacement. Jared Kelnick was the guy that gave you one F4 last year, but you still thought oh, he's 24. There's a chance this guy could turn into an all star four and a half win player. I don't see that on this roster right now, which I think is a little concerning. But the way that the Giants won all of those playoff games and division titles was they had an older roster that knew what to expect. They, they were accountable. They took responsibility. They posted. Mm-hmm. And I think if this team stays healthy, you're going to see a veteran led lineup that 
it just produces night in and night out. It may not be flashy, but they get the job done. Joe, we talked about the Koenig trade the last time we all visited. We've talked about the Hanniger trade and the other transactions. We wondered in our last time together about Whit Merrifield at potentially acquisition for second base, and it's Jorge Polanco instead. Capable, but again, injury-prone like just about everybody else that they have brought in. Joe, start with the compensation. It seemed like these websites who do this thing, the consensus is that they overpaid for Polanco at this point of his career. Agree or disagree with that? I think it's I think it's ridiculous to say that <laughs> that they overpaid for Jorge Polanco. Listen, they traded an outfielder who was, uh, and I'm not kidding, seventh on the depth chart. He was redundant. He's been in AAA for a couple of years now. He wasn't any better last year than he was the year before. He wasn't taking strides. He's going to be 26 years old. Um, Zach Deloach, you know, I was a big fan of, of, of the player when we drafted him in 2020, but there was no path. There was no path for Zach Deloach to be a productive member of this organization. He was behind Cade Marlowe. He was behind Taylor Trammell. He's behind Sam Haggerty for outfield time. And then you look at Justin Topa. That hurts a little bit. But at the same time, like if you're trading a seventh inning reliever for and that's at best, like Justin Topa is not an eighth inning high leverage guy. If you're trading a sixth, seventh inning reliever yeah. for a starting second baseman who could give you 140 games and give your you know round out your lineup more importantly move josh rojas out of a full-time role i mean jorge polanco has been an all-star i think he's a i think he's a tremendous get and then i'm the biggest fan of darren bowen of anyone in the industry i thought he was a top 20 prospect in the organization i think he's a top 20 prospect in the minnesota twins organization but he's also a i'll fully admit he's a 24 year old uh, who has enormous reliever risk, and he's got a great arm, but this is a ton of lottery tickets and a good sixth or seventh inning reliever. Gabriel Gonzalez, he's fine. I mean, I was he was seventh on on my uh, on my farm list. I think he's fine. I, I don't think he's a full time player. I think he's more of a fourth outfielder. So to answer your question, especially with the with the uh, option for 2025 for Polanco, if he does blow us out of the water, I think this is a slam dunk move that Seattle had to make. I look at this Mitch very much the way that Joe was talking about it, as if the the two deals for Polanco and Santos were one. Uh, you get Jorge Polanco and you get uh, Gregory Santos for Topa. Desclafani, Gonzalez, Bowen, Zach Deloach, Prolando Barreau in the 69th pick in the draft. If you look at it that way, it's a little easier to see why the price they paid to get Polanco is more than reasonable. And yeah, you're looking at Polanco as a guy who could get hurt because he has been hurt. But if you get 200 games out of Jorge Polanco, the trade will be worth it. It will suck while he's on the IL, but it will be worth it from a value standpoint. Polanco hits third in the lineup to start. I, I think so. That's the where I would go. And I was talking about this on my show the other day. I would go Crawford, Julio, and Polanco versus whoever's pitching and leave it that way. And that probably means as long as Mitch Garver's in the lineup, how many times that happens, I don't know, 100, 120, 130, he's the cleanup hitter for me, lefty or righty. There's some guys that are interchangeable. You can make an argument. Garver could hit third. And if Polanco's not in the lineup, you might see Garver or Cal Raleigh you know, hit third, but we're also not going to see Mitch Garver sit out against lefties a whole lot. We're also not going to see Cal Raleigh sit out against righties a whole lot. So yeah, I think Polanco being in that third spot, they could run out the top four in the order 90% of the time this year, just depending on how much guys, you know, stay in the lineup and stay off the aisle. Joe, if uh, Urias doesn't work out at third, 
Does Rojas play third? Does Polanco play third and Rojas play second? Explain to me the shifting that happens if Urias isn't what they thought he'd be. I don't think they're going to be in any rush to put Polanco at third. But, you know, he did play it for the first time last year a little bit. I I think he's serviceable over there. He's better than Ryan Healy was. I don't know if you remember the Ryan Healy at third base days, but he's certainly certainly a whole lot better than that. Listen, I don't think Seattle necessarily has a and for, you know, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. They don't necessarily have a a for sure option at third base. They have Urias. They have Dylan Moore, who I think you can't discount going over to third base a little bit. Uh, They have Rojas. Listen, this might be a situation where Seattle is almost certainly they are undoubtedly looking for a player to be DFA'd during spring training or over the next few weeks as an option at third base. And it might not even be a guy that you see on the big league roster on opening day, but they need someone at AAA with a little bit of upside, a little Mm -hmm. bit of floor. Mm -hmm. And right now, I don't think that guy necessarily exists. So probably three guys to fill one spot and they just kind of ride the hot hand or they ride the platoon. But yeah, Urias is is by no means a sure thing, but they're going to give him every chance they can to to let him succeed. Hey, Joe, while while I expect Urias to, to not be straight platooned, uh, I do expect Rojas to get some time against right-handers. I'm I'm curious if you like that that kind of a build at third base. I mean, it, it's kind of just a one-year thing. You know, right now, Rojas probably isn't going to be back next year. This is probably it for him considering the arbitration dollars. But what kind of a, a, a ratio are we talking about? Because, again, I don't expect there to be a straight platoon over there where it's a lefty on the hill, it's Urias. If it's a righty, it's Rojas. It could get there if Urias doesn't hit. But to start the season... What are they going to do? What are you expecting over there? I, when I said that they're going to run the hot hand out there, I really mean it. I think by May 1st, by May 15th, it's going to be, wow, Dylan Moore is he's producing. He's hitting 265. He's showing some pop. He's walking. He's running a little bit. Let's put Dylan Moore at third base and, and see if you know we can't get a little bit of value out of um, Josh Rojas in left field or or you know Luis Arias at second base to get Polanco off the seat. Like, I really do think if you look back at you know, 2019, 2020, after they got rid of Robinson Cano, all those guys that rotated in and out of second base, uh-huh. for better or for worse, it's not a good look when you're a, a team in a competitive window. Certainly, you don't want guys just moving all over the infield, but at the end of the day, there's no stars there's no impact players there's no guys on this team on the infield that are making a ton of money i think that scott service both in order to keep guys fresh and to keep the hot hand in the lineup i think he's just going to get guys more and more at bats uh you know whoever's producing jason with urias here and now polanco here what does that mean for ryan bliss he's kind of the long lost forgotten guy Mm. there are a lot of people if you watch social media mariners fans who are excited on some level about bliss what's his future in the next couple years yeah i think he's the first guy up when they need an infielder if somebody does if a luis polanco does have to hit the il or if if a rojas gets hurt or urias gets hurt or or even uh even jp crawford you know stubs the toe and needs 10 days You know, Dylan Moore or Rojas can play short or Ryan Bliss can play short. I think he fits better at second. But if you need a middle infielder, a true middle infielder, Ryan Bliss is the first guy up from the minors. I think that's the role to start the season. If there's an injury, he fills in. And, you know, I I like Ryan Bliss. I just I think the the idea that he's got a chance to get to his impact level, whatever impact level that is for him. Uh, right away. I, I just, I never really like the chance a prospect's just going to be what you want him to be. What do you think he can eventually be right away? And I think Seattle just didn't want to take that chance at second base. And that's why they went out and made the deal for Polanco. Joe, it was going to be Topa, Brash, Munoz to close out the game for the Mariners. Now it's Santos, Brash, Munoz in some order. Which is better? I mean, I think 
the upside of what they have now with Santos is a lot better. I mean, it's way better. It's not even close. And on that note, you know, not to kind of come out of left field here, but if people have an issue with any of the trades, it shouldn't be the Polanco trade. It should probably be the Santos trade because the value of that 69th pick in the 2024 draft is probably going to be more valuable than any of the seven or eight assets that were moved in those two deals. I just want to make that kind of clear so people know. But with Santos, you're getting a guy that could ultimately be the closer. I mean, he is a carbon copy with a little bit higher release point of Andres Munoz. And what they've done with Munoz over the last few years is they've turned him into an absolute monster with the slider. Santos is the exact same way. I mean, he's going to throw 52, 53% sliders and dare you to hit it. So I think if you cannot piggyback Santos and Munoz back to back, because it's a very similar look, but if you can just use Santos in the seventh inning against the middle of the lineup and then go to Brash and then go to Munoz. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty electric. Yeah. Pretty electric back of the bullpen. You just kind of hope you got to hope that he's healthy. That's the, that's the only thing with Santos that I think everyone is waiting for. Jason, what I'm hearing Joe say is that Topa's better right now than Santos, but Santos has a higher upside. I don't know that that's true. You look at what Santos did last year. I don't think Santos is where you want him to be if you're going to use him in the Matt Brash, Andres Munoz situations. But if you're going to use him for where Topo was mostly used last year, he's absolutely ready for that. You look last, all the runs allowed metrics loved Santos last year. Low threes or somewhere in the mid twos, uh, depending on which one you look at. The swing and miss rate, uh, it's a little bit different. He's a different arm. He's getting ground balls too, though. It's a sinker-slider combination. It's a legitimate mm-hmm. get ground balls and swing and miss style mm-hmm. kind of two-seamer, which is you know kind of Felix Hernandez-like, just you know a little harder than Felix really ever threw on a consistent basis. And you think there's more swing and miss there. So I, I think they're really close you know, in terms okay. of like throwing Santos okay. into the mix there. Okay. I think Topo was probably a little more reliable moving forward in terms of, do you believe he's, he's simply going to throw strikes because Santos's track record of throwing strikes is basically, well, last season, basically. And back when he was a starter in the Giants organization about five, six years ago. So I think that's the key here. But we've seen relievers, including Matt Brash last year, walk 10% of the batters he faced and really get the job done. You know, like Brash could take another step forward. He could also take a step back. We could see the same with Santos. Joe, Mariners prospects. There was a note the other day that I saw Cole Young and Harry Ford were invited to spring training. Is that anything worth discussing? Is that a surprise? Is it not a surprise? Is it an indicator that they're on the way and they're going to be here sooner rather than later? What do you make of that news? It means almost nothing. I mean, okay. the teams do this once guys reach AAA and especially once they reach AA, it's it's an assimilation tactic. I mean, they really just want to get these guys with the big league organization. I think what they're saying to the player is there is at least a reasonable chance. There is a chance that you will be on the big league roster in 2024 at some point. And we don't want you to go in here having not met any of these guys, not spent any time with these guys. It is a sign of respect. Cole Young is probably closer to the big leagues than a lot of people think. And Harry Ford, you know, I thought the really interesting thing was Daniel Kramer came out this week and did say that Harry Ford's going to get a little bit of time at different positions this spring. That should be the huge headline here is 
it's not that they don't think Harry Ford can necessarily catch. I think that the team still thinks Harry Ford can catch, but the bat is good enough that they want to get this guy to the big leagues. They want to get him contributing. And if he plays a little bit of left field, if he plays a little bit of second or third base, mm-hmm. watch out for Harry Ford at third base in August or, or September. It's unlikely, but I do want to kind of put it out there right now. If they don't have an option at third base, watch out for a couple of these guys, maybe making late season additions, adding a little bit of value. If there's a black hole, we've seen it happen before, but uh, to answer your question, it's really just to get these guys exposed to some of their future teammates. Church, talk to the pipe dreamers like me who still think Bryce Miller trade for an impact bat, maybe a third baseman, maybe an outfielder, and then sign Blake Snell with the remaining dollars that you have. No <laughs> chance, right? I wouldn't say no chance. Yeah, I have a, a saying in the last several years. Uh, non-zero chance. If there's a non-zero <laughs> chance, there's there's no reason to give up on that. You might as well just have hope until you know there's no chance. So I wouldn't say no chance. And this goes to like, if they really have around $5 million left, it's really difficult to sign Blake Snell. But I'll say this. What if we said for a second that our assumption of the budget is a little off because we don't know what it is. Is it 140? Is it 145 in special circumstances? Might they go to 145, 147? Because if you're telling me they have, oh, I don't know, $14 million in space right now, you can make a Blake Snell deal work because even though the AAV of the deal, let's say they sign him to a five-year, just to make the, the math easy, five and a hundred. So it's 20 million a year, Okay. The AAV counts on the luxury tax ledger the same every year. It's $20 million every year. But the cash you pay him, the payroll we're talking about, the money John Stanton and his cronies over there are pinching and spending on this roster, that can be manipulated from year to year. They could sign Snell to a $100 million deal, pay him whatever amount, $10 million this year to fit it under and then make up for that in the, over the final four years. As long as you can slot that in and that Jerry and Justin in that front office think this works and they think they can make sense out of this, you can do that. I don't get the sense that they want to do anything like that, but you can do that. So if you're holding out hope for someone like Blake Snell in Seattle and trading a, a Bryce Miller or a Brian Wu for a bat, uh, you know, it's non-zero and that's probably the, the way they can make that happen. I don't see them adding 20 plus million dollars to the payroll from where it is right now, but maybe they can add 12, 14, 16. Why not just add Blake Snell and not trade a pitcher? You know, why not just <laughs> add Blake Snell? I mean, I think about it this way, like for an organization and for a front office that has come out and said luring players to Seattle is difficult. Is it, I'll ask you guys, is it borderline irresponsible to not go get the player that seemingly desperately wants to play in Seattle, just won a Cy Young Award, and I think you could reasonably make the case would give you a little bit of a haircut to come to town? Now, that, mm-hmm. that, that can't be assumed. It's Scott Boris. Scott Boris a lot of times makes decisions for his clients without them even wanting to make those decisions. He's a master manipulator in that sense. But if it's the one guy that actually wants to come to Seattle, doesn't it make sense for Seattle to kind of find a way to fit it into the budget? Doesn't it make sense for for John Stanton to find a way to fit it into the budget? Yeah, I think you're you're 100% right. I think the the one thing that I'll stick into this that kind of ruins the whole thought is Blake Snell is not this club's kind of pitcher. A guy that walks a bunch of hitters, a guy that goes five and dive. This is not, that's not the kind, if they were going to spend on the free agent market and we'll put player choice aside, Jordan Montgomery fits a lot better what Seattle would want 
out of a guy and, and he's also left-handed. So maybe we should be talking about them going out and spending on Jordan Montgomery just as much as Snell. I know there's the Seattle connection, yeah. but Jordan Montgomery won't cost as much as Snell, at least theoretically speaking from an AAV or a total dollar standpoint. But yeah, you're right, Joe, you get a guy who's from the area at least wants to talk, at least wants to try to get it done. I think you're right. I, I think if, if we sit here and we assume that Blake Snell's, you know, value on the open market is $150 million. Do I believe he'd take 130 to come to Seattle? Just for example, I do. I absolutely do. There's a lot of reason to too. feel that way as well. He could, he could probably have already had a $130 million deal with the giants of the angels. And it hasn't happened yet. There has to be a reason for that. That's it. You'll hear him all year long with us on Mitch unfiltered, the no table with Joe Doyle and Jason Churchill. Joe, thanks very much. All right, Mitch. And my guy, baseball things, Jason Churchill. I'll stand by the mailbox this year again <laughs> and wait for my invitation. Thank you, Church. Hey, you got it, Mitch. Thanks. Hey, Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered, watching the insanity of his favorite college football program. You have any eligibility left, Dan? They need players. Can you can you play both ways? What position? Yeah, Jed Fish hit me up the other day when we delivered some <laughs> pizza. So uh I might, you know, I might be on the depth chart for quarterback next uh, year for the Huskies. But, hey, bitch, I got a question for you. Yes. So I know this guy. He's he used to be a sports radio guy. Now he does a podcast. <laughs> he's a great interviewer because he shows genuine curiosity. And I thought about you a lot. If you and I were standing in the sports book in Mandalay Bay, would you put a bet on the Huskies in the Pac-12 championship or the Sugar Bowl? I would have bet them in the Pac-12 championship for sure. Yeah. I would have bet him in the Sugar Bowl for sure. And yeah. then I would have bet him in the national championship game. <laughs> for That's sure. What I thought. <laughs> All right. Uh, Curiosity cured. <laughs> you got it. The Pigskin yeah. 10 promotion has been a hit. We used it here during the national semifinal game in the Sugar Bowl. Tell everybody about it. Are we keeping it rolling through the NFL season and the playoffs and the Super Bowl? Yeah, no, Pigskin 10, like we've talked about, super popular. It's rolling through the Super Bowl, active on what we call football days, which is Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Mm -hmm. And it's $10 off any order of $40 or more. So $30 after the discount, easiest way is on the app or online. You just enter the code. And like I say, the idea is that if you're ordering pizza while you're watching football, it's a no-brainer. The Kraken have gotten hot all of a sudden, Dan. How about Kraken happy hours down near the uh, the building? Yeah, no, our Belltown location, as you know, is kind of Kraken Central. We got a great bar there. We run great happy hour specials and stuff. And I know you're Mr. I don't drink beer, but trust me, <laughs> five or six bucks for a pint is good. We got cheap slices. Nice. Uh, it's active and fun in there. We got all the crack and pregame and hockey on and stuff. So that's a, that's a great spot. I love how Zeke's Pizza has connected with sports, especially sports locally. We love Zeke's Pizza, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. Well, 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 I smell some better mortgage rates. Finally, that brings in Jordan Flowers, Woodenville office, cross-country mortgage, back on Mitch Unfiltered. Rate drops the way that he used to drop passes at East Lake High School. <laughs> Ouch, man. And, and, with that, that and, with the, and that's why he's in the mortgage business, ladies and gentlemen, and the phone should be ringing, right, Jordan? <laughs> well, at least something's ringing off the hook. Yes, it is busy. Phones are ringing like jingle bells. It's awesome. <laughs> We're having a great time here. We're seeing rates already down about a point, point and a half. It took us six months to lose about 300 basis points on the 30-year 6% coupon, and we're, we gained that back in the last 30 days. So wow. things are looking good. Significant. How have the rate drops affected the market that you can tell? And how about new cross-country products that we should be thinking about 
as we head towards the new year? Yeah, the rate drops have already impacted the market with uh, buyers getting a little more excited and confident and writing up offers and getting under contract now since they're already seeing probably 500 to to $1,000 a month savings in a 1% to 2% drop in rates from where they were just a few months ago. Yeah. And refis are going to be coming up here soon, especially as the Fed starts to cut rates. So things are definitely picking up here. And as far as new products go, there's a bunch of products that have been coming out. One specifically that we're very excited about moving into next year is a construction loan, but a construction loan for investors that are looking to build five to 10 unit mixed use properties, somewhat hard to come across. And uh, we are offering it. I believe we're one of maybe the only lender in the area offering it right now. So mixed use properties, five to 10 units, investors that want to build those apartments or condos and sell them or rent them out. We've got that for you. So up to $4 million. So I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener who's either looking at a refi or making a purchase. And I want to talk and ask questions to Jordan Flowers directly. I call him where? You call me or text me directly at 425-890-2957. There it is. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. We love him. Great, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Episode 275 with Hotshot Scott in Birmingham, Alabama. Slicky, this is a little segment that if you listen to the show, you would know (laughs) it's called the Other Stuff segment. And I'm starting the Other Stuff segment with what's happening in Peoria, Arizona this week, Thursday, February the 15th. Pitchers and catchers are reporting for the Mariners to their spring training facility. Are you ready? This week? This week. Didn't we just have a Super Bowl? This week. Weeks. I am not ready. I'm not ready. Are they ready? I'm not sure they're ready. They'll never be ready, (laughs) but you need to be ready. Here is your opening day lineup as I see it. Oh, no. I'm going to give you the batting order, the opening day batting order. Batting first and playing shortstop, J.P. Crawford. I like him. Batting second, playing center field, Slicky, Julio Rodriguez. I really like him. Batting third and playing second base, Jorge Polanco. Polanco at second base. Think I will like him. Batting fourth, your catcher, yeah, Cal Raleigh. Raleigh. Love him. In the Love cleanup hole. Batting fifth, your designated hitter, Mitchie Garver. Garver at fifth. Okay. <laughs> batting sixth, <laughs> your hard-hitting first baseman, Ty France. <laughs> France. Hey, he's turning batting it all around, Mitchie. This is the year. Batting seventh. How many lineups in the big leagues have two Mitchies in the lineup in the opening Not many. Day, in the opening Not day lineup. Many. Mitch Hanniger bats seventh and plays right field on opening day if he's healthy. For the first three innings. Batting eighth, playing <laughs> left field. Luke Rayleigh. Okay. Your new left fielder. And batting ninth, the third baseman, Luis. Urias, Urias yeah. at third base, batting ninth. And on the mound, your opening day starter, I would think, is Luis Castillo. Maybe you tell me I'm wrong about that. No, you're right. Absolutely. Okay. It's okay. Castillo. Okay. There is your opening day lineup. You don't mm-hmm. even need spring training. You don't have to follow the Arizona League. You don't no. have to follow the Cactus League. You've got Mitchie the kid to tell you. Here is the opening day starting lineup and batting order for your Seattle Mariners. Thanks, Mitchie. Now I don't have to go to the game. 
<laughs> Actually, I will. I will be at opening game. I think that's the one game I'm going to be at this year is opening day. You'll be at more than one game. We'll see. Well, we'll see what happens here in a couple of weeks when I'm down there for spring training. That's a lineup. Um, yeah. No. No. <laughs> I, it just needs more. It needs. I, it, we're going to do this every year at this time. It just the you get past you know the fifth spot in the lineup and it just black holes out just <laughs> the word impotent comes to oh. mind and you never want that no so nobody wants no yeah now look what's the formula for this club pitching right pitching love their starters defense think i really like their bullpen three guys in the back of the bullpen named santos named mm-hmm. brash and named munoz yeah Right. Really? I loved there haven't been a lot of moves where I've been like this offseason. I said, I loved that. I did love the Santos trade. So you got those three guys now. Right. So and then the bullpen was already pretty good. Um, I think that really bolsters it. You get you got to have that guy. So if if the rotation's healthy, you know, that's that's what we say. Right. If they stay healthy. Yeah, you're going to have a shot at it because of the pitching. But boy, wouldn't it be nice to take a little bit of that load off, wouldn't it? I'm still secretly hopeful that they're going to trade Bryce Miller for a uh, an everyday, hard-hitting young bat and then oh. sign Blake Snell Ugh. to take over Bryce Miller's spot in the rotation. That's, my, a- that's my secret desire that I pray for every night before I lay my head on the pillow, Slicky. There's not a morning that I wake up <laughs> you would and like think that. about that. I don't think about that. Oh. And, and it's, it's, oh. it's all right out there for them. It's there. They can do it. They can get a bat for young Bryce Miller. It's not that much money. And I'm they doing can afford it. I don't know about you. I'm doing my part. I'm doing I've my part. I've got the ultimate package. I've got root. I do. I've got my fl- I think I've got my flex package for tickets You've, this year. I don't know uh, if I did. Maybe I, I don't. I, 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 well, I did. I, <laughs> I did have it, and then I wrote, a, I I wrote an email. It. I wrote an email. Yeah. Oh, did, did, oh. They, did they renew that without asking mm-hmm. me? Oh, they did. Yeah. So they took my money? Yeah, it's, yeah they did. Oh. But, the, but they'll give it back. <laughs> If you tell them how upset you are, they'll give it back. Really? Yeah. Do you know for sure they took my money? Yeah, they did. Unless uh, well, you told uh, them, unless you told them don't take my money, they took your money. It's an auto renewal. On a flex package? Yep. I'm on a flex. I was I'm sorry. I was on a flex package. And then you told them what? Fuck off. <laughs> And they really I told, my, I told them I have to pay my Comcast bill so I can't afford tickets. Uh, I see. I see. <laughs> All right, a couple other things. Slicky, uh, congratulations yeah. to the new class that will be enshrined in the NFL, the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. That includes Devin Hester, Dwight, former Seahawk, former Seahawk, Dwight Freeney, former Seahawk, Andre Johnson, <laughs> not a former Seahawk, Julius Peppers, Patrick <laughs> Willis. Former, oh, I love that him. Randy Gratishar and Steve McMichael, the seven member class of the uh, NFL Hall of Fame of 2024. Two former Seahawks, as you point out. And yeah. of course, of course, Syracuse University and Dwight Freeney. <laughs> well represented another Absolutely. another Syracuse Hall of Fame you guys keep talking about Oregon's you keep talking about Washington's you keep talking about all the, and we'll just keep putting guys in the Hall of Fame 
Okay. That, Canton is a whole entire shade of orange, isn't it? There's so <laughs> many more oranges than than Oregon Ducks. I can promise you that. Uh, for next year's Hall of Ta- Hall of Fame, I joke about Freeney. I joke about Hester, but two prominent Seahawks are going to be eligible for the first time for the Hall of Fame next year. Who? Their names are Marshawn Lynch and Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas, who I think when he played here, we all thought like shoe in Hall of Famer, right? Is that still the case? I know a lot of people with Marshawn Lynch, myself included, think that because of his period of dominance, which there was, there was a period of four years where he led the league in Mm. both yards and touchdowns. Not a lot of people talk about that because they look at the overall numbers. A lot of people wonder if he will get in eventually. Eventually, not next year. Not next year. Not first ballot. Neither one of those guys are getting in next year. No, but I wonder if we'll have none of those guys, one of those guys, or both. And if it's one, which one? Sean Alexander's eligible, right? He's eligible. Who had a better career, Sean Alexander or Marshawn Lynch? Oh, I mean, Sean Alexander won an MVP. And he broke the record for most... Touchdowns, touchdowns in a, in a, in a season. season. Yes, he had a hundred touchdown career. His numbers would indicate, especially when you compare them to like Earl Campbell, that he should be a Hall of Famer. And he'll never be a Hall of Famer. I don't think so. So if Sean Alexander's not a Hall of Famer, will Marshawn Lynch be a Hall of Famer? It's a little different, I think, because when Sean Alexander did it, running backs did that, right? He wasn't the only guy doing it at that time. The year before he won the rushing title, you had Curtis Martin, who had 16, 1700 yards. You had guys like Priest Holmes, you know, that were racking up 27, 28, LaDainian Tomlinson, 28 touchdowns. So yeah. with Marshawn Lynch, though, like I said, um, he doesn't have the all pros. He doesn't have necessarily the awards. But he does have that period of dominance that I mentioned before. And I think something that might also be in his corner a little bit, mm-hmm. which to me is ironic, just because of the way he conducted himself when he was a player. He's a little bit of the NFL's kind of darling right now, a little bit when it comes to he's in all the commercials and they use him for the I mean, he has a role in the NFL front office, does he not? I so yeah. I think if you're going to say is it one or the other between those two. I would say Marshawn has a better chance of getting in than Sean Alexander. It's good to be the University of Georgia starting quarterback, Slicky. Yeah? Ask me why it's good, and I'll list you a couple of reasons why it's good to be the University of Georgia's starting quarterback. Why is it good to be the University of Georgia's starting quarterback? Do you know the name? Carson Beck. He's been the starting quarterback the last year or so at Georgia. He's returning to Georgia. Well, I would say that he probably does very well with the girls on campus. I would think. If you're the starting quarterback of the University of Georgia, my guess is he's not (laughs) lacking for a date on a Friday night. I think he's doing okay for himself. He also just plunked down $273,000 on a car. A 2024 <laughs> Lamborghini Urus Performante. Ooh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, wait a what's minute, wrong? What are you doing with picture? a Lamborghini in Athens, Georgia? What is wrong with this picture? Oh, the University boy. of Georgia quarterback <laughs> just just spent $273,000 on a Lamborghini. What is wrong with the system that the University of Georgia quarterback is making more money than the starting quarterback of the Super Bowl San Francisco 49ers. 
things have changed. And I, and I, for one, I, I can't, I, I can't lie. I love it. I love it. Come on. The University of Georgia quarterback should not yeah. be, should not be paid more than Brock Purdy. Well, that's a Brock Purdy problem. That's, that's not a Georgia quarterback it's a system. problem to me. No, it's not a Brock Purdy problem. It's a system. He got what he gets for being the last player drafted in the NFL right. draft. He gets right. I'm just he saying that's what he gets. He should get more. He should make more than the University of Georgia starting quarterback. He's going to get his. And over a period of 10 years, okay. Brock Purdy's probably going to make much more, I would think. Okay. But yeah. The bigger point is, you know, these athletes now, the all the all the name image likeness money. Yeah. They can get whatever their earning potential is. And Crazy. that is something that I love. Crazy. Love that. Do you like the Chip Kelly left UCLA for Ohio State to be their core? Who leaves a I major just didn't get it? I don't I still don't understand it. I don't understand. He's leaving a head coaching job at UCLA to be somebody's coordinator? Why? Was he just done there? I guess I mean, he, did, he was interviewing here in Seattle. Is this and, good and timing for you? The same conference. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'll be my first to, to raise my hand and say I don't know what that's all about. Is so, Jed going fishing for UCLA <laughs> no, players now? You can't. Well, I mean, everybody is right. Everybody's yeah. going to be kind of yeah. yeah. dipping that pole in. So yeah. I guess that was really curious to me. Slicky college basketball. How yes. Ba- are you paying attention? To college basketball, are you paying attention to the Washington State Cougar basketball team? I paid attention you, on Saturday afternoon. When they whooped I'll tell your you team's that. ass. They, <laughs> yeah, they beat Oregon these days. What, on the road in Eugene, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you know that the Cougars are 18-6 and six as we record this? Yeah. The Cougars are 9-4 and four in the conference. The Cougars, I would think, are clearly at the moment an NCAA tournament team. They haven't made the tournament since Tony Bennett coached them to the tournament in 2008. (laughs) We're talking about 16 years. They're going to get votes for the top 25. Yeah. They're on an absolute roll. I think they've won five or six in a row. They've got some really, really good players and they're going Mm -hmm. to the NCAA. I would think they're going to the NCAA tournament. Are you? Oh, they've got to be. I mean, unless they have an epic collapse down the stretch, they'll be going very solid squad. Slicky, do you still want to go to the Phoenix Open after the weekend of (laughs) tweets that you got from Mitch Levy? Is it required you pee on a stool? It while you're seated, while you're seated, yeah. This, so it's completely. It has got. It I've has never, become, but I've never seen it like this. I, you, there's always, you. there's always pictures and videos and I'm stuff. I'm telling you, it's, this it, it's, was it's, obscene. There are going to be changes. The players are pissed. Yeah. People are yelling obscenities at the players in their backswing. Yeah. You got mm-hmm. people peeing all over the grounds. Phoenix Open is the big party. Yeah. And now they've lost completely. It doesn't mean it has to be Woodstock. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, have some semblance of like self-respect. You know how hard it is to piss off Zach Johnson? (laughs) Zach Johnson is the Uh, world's nicest guy. Poor Zach Johnson was even yelling at the gallery on his way, on his walk through the uh, TPC at Scottsdale. Don't bring up the Ryder Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Don't bring that up with Zeej. Back to the college basketball world for a second, just because one of our, I've got to assume one of your favorites, and you'd probably be surprised to hear my favorite, Kelsey Plum is about to have her scoring record broke. I thought it was going to happen this weekend, but Caitlin Clark was like shut out in the fourth quarter uh, by Nebraska. 
But uh, whatever their next game is that I was going to play, Caitlin Clark and Plum already thanked her. She already gave her props on Twitter and everything. Caitlin Clark is going to break the all time record for scoring in college basketball. Well, I've never seen anybody quite like Caitlin Clark. I've never seen any woman's basketball player play the game quite like Caitlin Clark. So she deserves it. She's a great player. She's mm-hmm. exciting to watch. She'll be excited yeah. to watch in the WNBA. I'll, I'll admit it. I lost a little bit of Caitlin Clark fanaticism with the whole thing where she banged into the fan that was on the court. You know, the right with, the, with their, when they were storming the court. When they were storming the court, and mm-hmm. then she ran into this to the fan, and then she did this whole dramatic fall, and she was <laughs> hurt. And and then when you slowed it down, it looked like she initiated the contact and shoved with her. I mean, it, the whole thing was a little blocker charge, Mitchie. Blocker yeah. charge. Nah. I, I didn't like that, but congratulations yeah. to Caitlin Clark. She she deserves to be the highest scoring women's basketball player in NCAA Division One history. So Absolutely. much fun to watch. Yes. So much fun to watch. Absolutely. Mitchie, Trevor Bauer is, is a name. Well, he's trying to be back. Trevor Bauer is a name that when you when you say it, it invokes reaction one way or another. There's there's no question. He is one of the polarizing figures of sports. Yeah. He's come out and said he will play if a team signs him, he will play for the absolute veteran minimum, come in and show that he has reformed his ways, he's made changes in his personal life and that he can tell it can help a team win a World Series. We all know how desperate teams are for talent. It's been a weird offseason, too, with guys not really signing. Do you expect Trevor Bauer to come back to MLB, or do you think he'll he'll have to play well, again my, in overseas? Well, my first question is he pitched last year for somebody, did he not? Overseas. How'd he do? He started off kind of shaky, but I think it got better as the season went on. Because I, I seem to remember seeing highlights of him getting shelled mm-hmm. overseas, like getting absolutely like, – not being able to get anybody out. Now, I may be yeah. wrong about that. That's the first thing I would ask. Does he have anything left? If he can't get people out overseas, then why am I going to take a risk on him sure. in a Major League Baseball unit? Now, if you tell me that he was lights out overseas yeah. last year, which I don't think he was, but if you tell me he was lights out and I'm a believer in second chances and he was not found guilty of anything, right? All charges were dropped or he was he was exonerated in this most of all? recent case i don't know about the previous because this wasn't the only one the one that's been most but publicized. i thought he's, i thought he's been exonerated of all wrongdoing but i maybe if that's the case if he's been yeah. exonerated of all wrongdoing and he's guilty of no criminal charges and mm-hmm. he was lights out across the pond if that's the case then if i were a major league team i would have him in i'd look him in the eye i'd talk to him and i would consider having him on my roster and giving him a second chance. Mm-hmm. But he'd have to say the right things. Yeah. He'd have to do the right things, and he'd have to convince me in a face-to-face meeting if I was the owner of a team. That's my Weird answer. guy. He's a weird guy. The way he interacts, the way he talks to fans and media, he's always been kind of a bit of a weird guy for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Mitchie, is a big day coming up. Right before, right before pitchers and catchers report, the day before that, Mitchie, yes. everybody, I, I, I know you – Strike me. You've always struck me as a real romantic guy for Valentine's Day. I'm wondering. Yes. I'm wondering myself with yes. it when it comes to you. Yes. Is there a like a present or a day or something that God. you have done over God. time that like stands out to you? That I, gotta, like, yeah, yes, I, te- I did this. I've got a terrible answer. You're not going <laughs> to like my answer. 
Yeah? This is the worst way to end episode 275. Oh, no. This I'm is sorry. A, this is a way to to solidify you never being back on the free show. Oh, I can make it worse. Yeah. I could bring up O.J. Simpson's prostate cancer. But we'll go with this on Valentine's <laughs> <Okay>. Day. <laughs> I just have a very bad answer because my wife and I are not big Valentine's Day people. We've never been big Valentine's Yes. Do we wish each other a happy Valentine's Day? Yes. Have we exchanged gifts over the years? Mm-hmm. Probably. I can't remember the last time we have. I'm sure years and years and years ago we have. Will we have a dinner? Will we go out? Yeah, we'll probably go out. But we're we're kind of we're kind of the grumpy old this is a Hallmark <laughs> holiday. This is a okay. made up pagan holiday that we're not really all that thrilled with. All right. So it's not a it's not a big thing in our household, and that's the worst answer I could have given you. It's um, not because I think a lot of people feel that I way. I don't think so. People I go out so. of people go out of their way to celebrate Valentine's Day. It seems to me that people who really do that a lot are people who maybe feel obligated to do that a lot. Like we celebrate or whatever, but it's not like like uh, one year I got. I got Amy, a, she wanted it. She had been talking about wanting it a long time. I got her literally a garbage disposal. I like put a long stem rose and a garbage Jeez. disposal that I had bought and got installed because we wanted a what, garbage disposal. What a so romantic I year. I, hey, look, she loved it. Um, and so like this year, oh my since God. we've never really done it together, we're going out, we're doing, we're going to do all the um, the touristy stuff kind of in Seattle. Oh. Yeah, go to the pier and the aquarium yeah. and we're going to go Pacific Science center oh. and see the laser light show and the seattle underground tour. you ever do the seattle underground tour, no i've Mitchie? heard all about it i've never yeah. done it yeah see yeah. see and the, you know you move here and then the years they go and you just never so we're gonna do it yeah uh stay and stay downtown and do all that so yeah kind of a staycation nice. little valentine's well thing. you do me a favor and, and wish amy a happy valentine's day for of me of course okay? well, if you'll do the same for sure i will indeed can we do a couple of rips before we get out of here yes yeah oh yeah can I do a couple RIP. Pearl Berg died in Los Angeles at the ripe age of 114, Slicky. Whoa. Oh, the third oldest American and ninth oldest person in the world, which wow. stuns me that there are literally eight people older <laughs> than Pearl Berg. She died at, at 114 in Los Angeles, October the 1st, 1909, she was born. She mm. was raised in Pittsburgh, but the Depression decimated her father's career in the mm. automobile business, which prompted the family to search for a new beginning somewhere else. So they moved to Los Angeles. She met her husband. By the way, her husband died in 1989, the 58th year of marriage. <laughs> oh, Do the math on that. Like they celebrated a Valentine's or two? They they, cele <laughs> they celebrated 58 Valentine's Days when yeah. he died in 89. Uh -huh. That was 34, 35 years ago. That's unreal. They would be married 93 years <laughs> if he were still alive. Uh. Rest in peace to Toby Keith. Do you know Toby Keith, the country music oh, yeah. singer and songwriter mm -hmm. known for his larger-than-life personality? He was 62. Rest in peace to two-time NBA champion and former University of Detroit standout Earl Curitan, who died Sunday at the age of 66. He was born and raised in Detroit. He was in the 1979 NCAA tournament. He played for the 76ers. He was drafted in the third round. I'll give you one guess as to who his coach was when he starred at the University of Detroit. 
Uh, Stump the band. Who was Earl Curitan's coach when he starred at the University of Detroit in the 1970s? Da 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 Come on, baby, you can get this right. Dick Vitale. Dicky V. Dick Vitale is the correct answer of of the trivia question. He was, in fact, Earl Curitan's college basketball coach at Detroit in the 1970s. Okay. Beautiful. And this is yeah. where this is where Hotshot would do the jokes. Right. One but you don't know about that because you've never listened to one of the free shows. <laughs> I've he would heard take, it. I he, just... would, he would take us out with headlines. You have any headlines yeah. for it? You want to do any jokes? I, I, I'm not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 275, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, is in the books.